0: What is up, everyone? Thank you for tuning into this very special episode of Backstage with none other than Quincy Larson himself, the founder of Free Camp. We're rebroadcasting a very special episode of the Free Camp podcast to our feed to celebrate a decade of conversations, news, and community here at Changelog. Yes, this month we turned 10 years old, which calls for a celebration. So if you haven't yet, head to changelog.com 10 and celebrate with us. All right, let's head backstage with Quincy.
1: Hey, everyone, this is Quincy Larson. I'm the teacher who founded FreeCodeCamp.org five fateful years ago. I am ecstatic to welcome you to this very special episode of the FreeCodeCamp podcast. Now, I know that Abby said that we were all done publishing episodes until 2020, but today we are coming out of hiatus to bring you this exclusive interview with the changelog. If you haven't heard of the changelog before, it's a podcast about open source software. Each week they interview new developers from around the software galaxy and explore what makes those projects tick. Adam Stachowiak founded the changelog exactly 10 years ago. And Jared Santo joined as a co-host about seven years ago. Together. Across 370 episodes, they've interviewed everyone from programmer legends to the maintainers of open source projects you may have used but never actually knew you were using. We're going to explore how Adam and Jared got into coding. We're going to talk about how the changelog has evolved over its first 10 years, and we're going to look forward to where they're going from here. And we did this all in their Houston studio. I drove down from Dallas. Jared flew in from Omaha. We all met at Adam's house in Houston, and we recorded all this. And again, I want to thank Adam and Jared for spending the day with me. They've been huge heroes of mine since I was just first learning to code back in the early 20 teens. I would listen to the changelog religiously. I think I worked through almost their entire back catalog when I was first learning to code. And to this day, I still listen to it. It's a fantastic window into the world of open source software. It was an honor to share their 10-year anniversary with them in this very special way. So without further ado, here's me interviewing the developers behind the changelog. Hey, welcome to the Free Code Camp podcast. We have a very special podcast today. We are interviewing the founder of the changelog and his sidekick. I am thrilled to ask a whole lot of questions to the creators of the show and celebrate their 10-year anniversary. How many podcasts you know of that have Not gone many. on to 10 years? <laughs> Not many. Not very many, no. All right. So first, uh, Adam Stakoviak, the founder of the Changelog uh, and the host for the past 10 years. Uh, and Jared Santo, who has stepped in and been a huge force in the Changelog uh, over the past few years. And we're going to learn a whole lot about him. Let's go. First, Adam, I just want to Learn a little bit about you. Like, sure. what was your early life like, Adam?
0: Uh, you want to go back to, like, the beginning of beginning? Like, early life? I mean... Like, eight, five? What, what I, year? If there
1: were any really formative experiences in your childhood, <laughs> okay. go
0: for it. But, uh, yeah. I would say, for me, probably the one thing that wouldn't seem obvious is I grew up poor. Like, from a town that people... Either go to jail, become alcoholics, you know, just not a lot of hope. And I came from a place where I would say that to be where I'm at today, if people see me that I met and went to school with years and years ago, just don't believe it, you know. Um, My dad died when I was really young, so it was a big part of my life to have a father figure missing in my life. My mom was amazing. She, uh, She raised me and my brother. Uh, single mom, you know, and, uh, I love her. She's, uh, she's since passed away in 2008, but she was always my encourager, always my believer in me. And, uh, and, and quite honestly, she's the reason why I'm at where I'm at because, uh, I guess ages ago when blogging was cool, right back in like 2003, Blogging's 2004, cool, right? Oh yeah. When it became, when it was the, the era of blogging, the blogosphere, forced, right? Yeah. That's right, the blogosphere. Um, I had a blog, right? And it was, I didn't live right next to my mom anymore. I had moved and was enough. I was about five hours away. So I had to have a blog to, you know, keep up with family. It was where we posted our family pictures and just did whatever. And I shared my thoughts and I got really into web design through WordPress and the theme Kubrick. If anybody remembers Kubrick.
2: I do remember Kubrick. Uh,
0: That was an entry point for me. That's how I learned CSS by like looking at, that css and be like what is margin what is padding all that stuff and so i got really curious about web design and you know just all that stuff and got really into it and then i got really busy at work and just sort of like didn't have enough time because it was just a hobby for me at the time and my mom's like you know you're not doing this anymore why not you know this and that and i'm like i just have time for it. it's no big deal whatever she's like but you're really good at it and like she's like you're really good at it you shouldn't stop you shouldn't quit you're really good at this you should find a way to do this more and, you know, it was literally that moment when she said that, that I sort of internalized that as like, huh, okay. Mom says I should do it. I should do it. And literally if, if she didn't say that, and I know how silly blogging would have been at that that time. And it was not even a cool blog. It was just yeah, my family blog. It was like, nobody should ever read it. Not interesting thoughts at all. But she's like, you should keep doing this. And uh, that's that's probably one of the most formative things for me, I would say to get me to here. There's a couple other things, of course, too, but that specifically around web design, web development, and like pursuing it deeper was that moment. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So you touched on the fact that you were working and you were working in another field and just pursuing software development as a passion. Let's back up a little bit to, you know, high school, you're in this town where generally people don't go on to write features. Um, How did you break out of that?
0: Sheer luck, sheer luck, God's will. Um, I would just say, gosh, man, I just, you know, I look back on those times. So I was the person that uh, didn't have any money for college. And my friends, many of my close friends had some sort of plan because their parents were fortunate enough to have money in the bank and make that plan. For me, I didn't have that plan I didn't even have great grades in high school. I was terrible. And not because I wasn't smart, but because I just didn't have anybody really assigned for my mom and a couple others like really helping me to apply things. And when I graduated high school, I barely graduated. It was terrible. Like I missed so many days of school the last year of my high school year. Like I just didn't want to be there anymore. I wanted to move on to whatever was next. And uh, when I left high school, this is like going super deep. But when I left high school, I, I kind of told myself, you know, I need to make a plan. And so the cool thing to say would be, I'm taking a year off, you know, prior to going to college. Well, I just didn't have any money to go. I didn't have a plan. Like, how am I going to get there? And so uh, I spent the next year after high school, sort of like <laughs> making some sort of plan. I worked at uh, this place called Reese Brothers, where they did telemarketing. Hey, I was a telemarketer <laughs> once at one point oh. in my life. I actually may have called you at one point to ask you about AT and long distance. It was probably like 10 cents or whatever. And I can give you a great deal if you bought today. Hey, that's how that worked. Uh, But yeah, I was a telemarketer, got done with that. And then I became a pizza guy. (laughs) There was a local mom and pop uh, pizza joint. What was it called? I forget, but it was amazing. Amazing. They had this thing called a red top. It's amazing pizza. And then uh, my roommate at the time, because I'd moved out of my home and uh, went and got an apartment with a buddy of mine and all that good stuff. Well, he was in the National Guard. And I come from a family that has, you know, all of the, all of the men in my family have all been in the military. My dad, my grandfathers, my brother, my uncles. So it wasn't like this legacy thing, but I was like, Hmm, I got to do something. Maybe I'll make enough money to buy a car. I was really motivated by money in a car and like some sort of like, uh, money for college. And so the SGLI bill was an option then. And so I was like, well, all right, I'll go in the military. So I went into the military full time. Uh, in 1998. And so I was in the army for three and a half years. They had this special program where you can go into, uh, it was training plus three years or something like that. And so I went in for training, which was about six to eight months and then three years of service. So it's around three and a half, almost four years, not quite four years. So typically the term of service is four years. That's why I'm making a big deal about it. Cause anybody listening will be like, yeah, I thought four years was the minimum. <laughs> well, I, I kind of got off a, a little bit there by shaving a few months off, but Went to Bosnia, you know, did all sorts of cool stuff in the, in the army, went over in Europe. Uh, Gosh, just a lot of fun. So, I mean, the military, Jared knows, I've told Jared this story at least, but the military for me was, um, there was a moment when I was in this thing called AIT, advanced individual training. Everything in the military is an acronym. So there's always like something, you know, Um, what am I getting at? So when I was in AIT, the drill sergeant, like I was just, I was, even though I went in the military, I was trying to like do something. I didn't really apply myself to be the best soldier. I was still sort of like figuring it out and I wasn't doing a great job. I was late, not prepared, not the best at physical fitness. You know, so I I was like the, the lower echelon of soldier. And so one day I'm standing in the, in the third, uh, the third line of of formation and the drill sergeant says, Stakoviak, front center you're first squad leader now and so that means that you're now the leader of the first squad and there's like usually like you know three or four squads so like three different lines so if you think of a formation it's the rows are squads and so if you're on the if you're on the the if you're facing the formation on the far left side that's the first person and that's the person that's in charge of that squad so i got wow. <laughs> i got basically made under the person who is in charge of the unit i was the second in com- command for lack of it, better terms and I didn't do anything to, to deserve it or earn it. He just gave it to me. And uh, and like from that day on, I was like, I'm a leader now. I have to be a leader. How do I be a leader? How do I lead? How do I, what's it look like? What does a leader look like? How do they talk? How do they walk? How do they act? And so it sort of reshaped my formation of what it meant to lead. I started to, uh, you know, press my uniform, shine my boots you know, they call it dress right dress in the military, be very, you know, you know, all the angles are, are, uh, squared and whatnot. So I just, I just, I guess I was given an opportunity to lead, which is why I'm a huge advocate for, you know, just helping somebody that doesn't even think they deserve it or know how to do it. Give them a chance, yeah. you know, encourage them into a leadership position. And, uh, I was not the best. I probably failed a lot. And that doesn't matter, though, because where I'm at today as a man, as a dad, as a father, as uh, a leader of any sort is because of some of those moments. We well, must have seen a lot in you if he gave you that responsibility. So it's possible that... I don't think he did, honestly. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't think he did. I, I, I don't think I deserved it at all. He wasn't like, oh, he looks good. Let's get him up here. I think he was just like rando. And I was just looking <laughs> the draw. And I, I think I was telling Jared this story the other day. Like, he's like, would you? would you say, would you... Would you thank him today or something like
2: that? Yeah, well, we were talking about people who influenced us right. in our lives. And the question is, should you go back to that person? Because you don't you don't appreciate it then. I mean, sometimes you do, but right. especially as a young person, we just don't appreciate what we have, yeah. the opportunities given to us. And the question is, well, now that we ha- we look back and I say, we're talking about a, a teacher of mine. Shout out to Mr. Kasner in uh, Miller High go. School. There he is. A guy who like, I was like, wow, I didn't realize it, but you are he was a good teacher and he impressed things upon me. And the question was, well, would you go back to that person if you could, and just thank them, because now you have that appreciation, and that, that was what I was asking you. And I, I would. I, and I was like, well, you know what I did today? I was googling
0: Drill Sergeant Hillard. You know, the person's name that uh, that did this. And I was like, what's what's really interesting? As somebody in that position, he probably has no idea he changed my life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this these things happen out there that we don't get that feedback loop like as software developers and people who you know deal with teams and flows and frameworks and systems we we crave that feedback loop and it's a it's a built-in mechanism into the human brain to desire and need that feedback loop right to have relationship is a key humanistic feedback loop find a human in solitary confinement you find somebody super alone you're going to find somebody seriously dealing with some mental issues because of that solitary that mm. because of that that soleness. and uh yeah i don't think he he has any any idea that uh he influenced my life so well which is crazy to me
1: yeah the the feedback loop is very loose in the real world That's especially right. among i mean who knows were you able to find him on google are no. there so many two that yeah. name
0: or I, I, uh, as a matter of fact, I kind of got scared for a second because I did find an article from the base I was at that was tragic. And I started reading through it and thank God his name wasn't in it. It was something else, you know, sad about the situation. But I was like, gosh, here I am looking for this person and something bad happened to them or whatever. You know, you find somebody's obituary, you know, and it's it's kind of terrible, too, because, like, if you're out there and you're listening to this, and you're thinking, man, there's somebody who influenced my life. Try to thank them if you can, because... I mean, the last thing I would want is to find that person's obituary and to be too late. You yeah. know, if I could find them somehow, some way, I would be like, thank you so much for sharing leadership with a crap soldier like me because, wow, <laughs> uh-huh. it changed my life. It's a great reminder. Uh, I'm
1: going to have to put that on my to-do list because I've got a lot of people myself who have steered me in the direction. Uh, a lot of teachers, a lot of employers and managers. Yeah. Um, so you get back from the army and mm-hmm. you did your three years and, and your, uh, your education before that. Um, did you end up going to school or
0: what did you do from there? That's funny. Um, so that's actually the next part that got me to where I'm at closer to today. I was, I would say at least so here specifically geographically in Texas. So, um, for a little while there, I lived in Canada and that's a really long story, and I don't feel like going into that. But I went from the military to Florida because a good friend of mine that I grew up and went to high school, this is one of the people who had a plan, had parents with money, and they sent them to college, to school. And so instead of going to school, I went to the military. This person, my good buddy, uh, Donald Kilgore, you know Donald. Yeah. Uh, we work with DK uh, quite a bit. He, uh, he went to film school at, in Orlando, Florida at a place called Full Sail, really mm-hmm. well known for audio, visual, directing, film, all that good stuff. And so I left the military with like this SGLI bill thinking I'm going to go to Florida and I'm going to go to film school or I'm going to go to audio school. So I, I'd i wanted to do either directing of films or get into like audio stuff around films. I loved it. I didn't know how to do it, but I, I liked the idea of it, which is so ironic of what I do now. And uh yeah, I never went to school. <laughs> I never went, I never ended up making it there, which is kind of an interesting story if you want to go there. I can I can yeah. take it to like the next I would say if we had to like uh facet my skill set, one of my biggest skill sets is sales and just relationships and partnerships. I love that kind of stuff. And I'd mentioned uh Reese Brothers and uh doing telemarketing. What well, I'd always been I'd always like to help people. And so I think when when you say, well sales is really just trying to help people solve their problems. It's not about getting Jared to buy something he did not wanna buy with money he don't have. You know, it's, it's about, he has a problem. I can help solve that problem. That's sales to me. And so I uh, kind of a long story, but I'll make it really short. I had a friend who was trying to be a DJ and we were at uh, a club early in the day, kind of like seven o'clock. Times people aren't at the club. You know, right. it's, it's it's not the time you want to be a DJ, and so we were there. I see him talking to this guy at the bar. I see him go back and do his thing, and I go over and introduce myself because I'm I'm like if you're a friend of my friend or a friend of mine kind of kind of person. And so I went over and I introduced myself. I said, Hey, I saw you talking to my buddy Dion. My name's Adam, etc. Whatever. And long story short, this person's name was Sean Hughes, another person that I would love to see again and thank uh, because that day he was. I was at a crossroads of like what I was doing, which was basically nothing. I had no real ambition at the time. I was like, well, I'm, I'm really hating what I'm doing now. I'm thinking about getting the car sales. So car sales, right? I love selling. I, hey, people need cars. I can <laughs> right. help you solve your problem by getting a great car, whatever. Yeah. But car sales is generally not the most fun sales job. It's got a lot of, just a lot of ickiness to it, so to speak. You know, it doesn't have a great, uh, a great uh, reputation for being a great job. You can make a lot of money, but it may not be the best job for you. And so long story short, I meet Sean. He's like, don't get into car sales. I've been into car sales. It's terrible. Don't do that. I tell you what, come in on Monday. This is Friday. Come in on Monday to my office. You selling like a great uh, uh, young man, got a great head on your shoulders. I got something I'm working on at a company called Muzak. I'd love to interview you for this thing we have going on. So that's another like huge moment in my life where I went from like no direction to direction. I go in on Monday, meet with Sean. It's a great office. It's a legit job where you got to dress nice, right? And you get a computer like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I'm not talking to a <laughs> POS, which is a point of sale system or, you know, which is nothing wrong with that. It was just the next direction for me. Because um, at the time I was I was a server. I was serving, you know, waiting tables, doing that kind of stuff in Orlando, Making good money because lots of hospitality around that area. Yeah. But yeah. this guy, man, hired me into this position. It was an LAPD program called Leads, Appointments, Deals, Proposals. And that's what it was all about. I was basically inside sales for account executives. And I learned the ropes of this business. If you haven't heard of Muzak, if you've been into, say, Old Navy or Banana Republic or any sort of like upscale retail environment, they put the sound systems in, they put the music in. And that's what I learned how to do, like, this sort of, like, um, a soundtrack to evoke an emotion, right? I started getting into user experience, this whole aspect of design and stuff like that. Music had a really good brand design. I always thought them. it was
2: elevators. Are they that's high? where it began. Okay.
0: So it began in, like, the early 1920s. Gotcha. As a combination of music and Kodak because the person who had founded Muzak, uh, it was a whole different era, but he loved the he loved he loved music and he loved Kodak, <laughs> so he just put them together and had a music. There you go, company? not the silliest uh, company name origin. Sorry, yeah. yeah, you could do worse. You could do worse. And so, you know, I got into sales there. I had started making good money, and uh, yeah, that's that's. I never made it to school though. So the, the interesting to the, the answer is sort of a a long winded version yeah. of like, did you go to school? The answer is no, but I found a really awesome job that helped me learn all sorts of skill sets that I literally use today yeah. to help build our business.
1: Yeah, and I guess to some extent, like they used to say, going to the military was like an alternative to going to school because you learn a lot of the same yeah. things, right? You learn how to, uh, struct- how to operate and yeah. structure and everything. Um, and by that time, you'd already traveled
0: around the world and done a lot of things to expand your horizons anyway. Yeah, I'd seen yeah. – I was used to traveling. I was used to being – A vagabond, for lack of better terms, you know, just pack a bag and go somewhere or take a few things only. Very, I've I've slept in some really weird places, and I've also showered and not showered (laughs) in some really weird places. So, Uh, I've I've actually, the longest stretch I've gone for not showering is about three and a half weeks. What? Wow. Yeah, we were on a field problem, and you were lucky. It, It was just like a certain kind of field problem where we had to, it was simulating a real world in battle environment kind of thing. And we were learning because we're going to Bosnia, so we had to train. So when you go in the military, you just don't know how to be a soldier and how to do these things and go overseas and do different stuff. You have to train to, to do these things. So we went to training to learn how to you know go overseas and kind of simulate that. Now, I showered over there, which is awesome. <laughs> but during this – they call them field problems. During this field problem, yeah, I didn't shower. I mean a wash rag to myself maybe a little bit, but like a legit in-the-shower shower. shower. <laughs> <laughs> I might be pushing a little bit at least two weeks maybe three weeks yeah but, man
1: I, I don't know if I could do it like it I, was tough I'd, I'd be knocking myself over every time I lifted my arm everybody
2: smelled yeah I, because know, like, I was gonna ask if it wraps around like it, it's bad for a while but eventually you just kind of get used to it and it goes back to normal
0: yeah it, it, it's kind of like uh, yeah after a while it just sort of like normalizes I will say though when the field problem was over and we all got back to the barracks the first few in that immediately went and showered Came out from their shower, and then everybody else is still coming in. You're like, "Oh my gosh, you guys smell so bad!" Like it was, it was pretty bad. At that point, you can smell the difference.
1: And the line for that shower must have been like tightly packed. Everybody's just like anticipating the hot water.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> I'm, I may forget that. I don't really know, but I'm yeah, sure you yeah, blocked it out. Maybe. It, there's always a line. It's like a line to you know, brush your teeth, even. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. So,
1: how did you transition from? Doing sales for music, and, and you said doing some some kind of in the direction of user experience design. Like yeah. Choosing music and, and trying to evoke specific emotions and communicate certain things. How did you explain the process of transitioning from that to getting more and more passionate about tech and ultimately um, doing what you're doing now?
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, one of the things that made me realize I was more geeky than I'd ever thought I was, because I was never like, I guess just when I grew up, computers weren't around everywhere to sort of like easily stumble into or more easily get into, you know? And so you almost had to really try. And so at the the first time I had a phone was at this job. They gave me a cell phone. It was Nextel. That's how old, how long ago it was. It was a Nextel phone, a flip phone, a Nextel phone. It was crazy. And the very first time I had my own laptop was at this job. The the first time I like really used a computer for anything that was not like online chats or just whatever dinking around was at this job. So I'd kind of gotten into, there's a, 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 I don't know if it's still around, but it was called ACT, an ACT database. It was like a, maybe you know this, you've seen it, Jared. But it was a databasing system for like a basic CRM. Mm -hmm. And that, I started to tinker with that. I was never really good at it, but I started taking some classes around it and just realized that I had this, sort of inkling into like a geek or what I considered a geek at that time, mm-hmm. geeky things, you know? And uh, Muzak had a really interesting brand, a really clean design, a really, uh, a real focus on uh, how they say things. And it's funny, one thing we actually have that's a behind the scenes repo on GitHub, it's it's a, uh, a repo we call One Voice so that Jared and I can sort of like say the same things and sort of define the same things around our business to say, well, when we talk to somebody around uh, a partnership or a sales opportunity or, you know, our guest guide, various things are in this so that Jared and I can have, you know, and begin to develop one voice for whomever sort of leads, commands, and interacts with, you know, these levels of our our business. And so that's something that they had. They actually had this entire book called One Voice. And I was like, that's really interesting how much you think about uh, the emotion that you want to invoke as a part of your brand. You know who you say you are really mattered to Musac, and it could have just been they had some really good branding people, right. and people believed in it. But hey, I, I drank the Kool Aid, man. I was all in it. So that that's kind of what got me into it. But I, I mentioned it at some point. I moved to Canada. Uh, I moved to Canada uh, as part of my job, and they had an affiliate there, and I was working in Canada. And uh, long story short, this is when uh, George Bush was president. The Americans did not have a great reputation abroad, whether it was Canada, Europe, wherever else, at least from from my perspective, because people would not buy from me because I was an American. Right. So I like was an amazing salesperson killing it. Like, I think at age 21, when I was working at Muzak in the United States, I was making like 80, 90 K a year in sales. Like, wow. I was just doing it for like full-time sales for like less than a year, almost barely 2 years if that. So I was really killing it. I was like yeah. top 5 be in the country for music for you. Yeah. And then going there and I, it's it's nothing against Canadians, but I I was I I felt really um I don't know how to describe it. I just felt I I just felt like really sad that that these people would not buy from me because of where I'm from and because I have an American accent and I'm not Canadian and don't say, Hey, I, I love Canadians. They're amazing. And I was like, okay, I just can't make ends meet. So long story short, I, I went there to, to work for this company there and I just couldn't cut it. And so I knew somebody who, who ran this IT business, which is really where my story of technology and like true web and software and stuff became a thing and like networking because this business was called IT weapons. They were IT weapons. You get it, right? (laughs) Okay. It was pretty cool. (laughs) It was pretty cool. cool. They did Citrix. They did VMware. They did like watch, uh, watch guard. Like, so they did hardware and software. They would do large scale Citrix implementations. And this is when it was all about, uh, thin client fat. What's the other server? Yeah. Like the, the, you did all of it on servers. So Citrix was like, you know, you had a thin client that was, you know, kind of stupid and all it was was just a terminal to your server. And so everything was server-based. And it's just an interesting era. This is around 2003, 2004, 2005 time frame. So that's kind of the era then. Learned about servers, what they were, all that good stuff. And it's it's just pretty crazy to think, like, this job at IT Weapons started to open up doors into into software, hardware, technology. And at one point, I didn't even know what a server was. I was like, I hear people say server, but, like, what's a server?
1: Wow. And from there, so you worked in, in the field... Uh, at what point did you get increasingly technical? I'm still working on that. <laughs> uh, describe increasingly technical. I mean, so ultimately, of course, you went on to found one of the most important uh, podcasts about software, in my right. opinion, and yet you were working in sales. <laughs> yeah. like, there must have been a pretty big transition there. Yeah, just Just give us some broad strokes about how how you went about getting more technical.
0: This was kind of interesting, too, because I kind of stumbled into it, right? Like, when I was working at IT Weapons, I was learning more. I was starting to take over the website for IT Weapons, and I was starting to deploy it and stuff like that, which was, like, basically just dragging and dropping an FTP. It was was really, you know, it was was those days kind of thing. I started getting more and more responsibility there around that kind of stuff and sort of, like, defining where the brand went, how we spoke. Uh, We would have in-office... kind of like conferences for lack of better terms where I would organize them I would like get the people there to speak from Citrix from WatchGuard from you know from VMware or whatever and I would coordinate people and I would coordinate the clients and just kind of like sort of layering on all these different things of like biz dev design sales and then a buddy of mine which ultimately I came here to Texas I was in Canada a buddy of mine started reaching out to me about like I don't know why he asked me these things, but like, he's like, hey, I got this issue with this web page I'm making. Can you help me? And I just started to solve his problems. And he's like, hey, can you just build these things for me? I've got some clients. And like, so next thing you know, I started to just like moonlight and freelance in web design and development. So I would design it. I would develop it. I would ship it. I would support it. And I would help, you know, to some degree, even land the deals, you know, so it was sort of like full Full spectrum of like identify people to work with, uh, understand what their problem set was, design something to fit it, and then build it and make it and ship it and support it. And after a while, he was like, do you just want to be – because he's a good buddy of mine. I grew up with him. I was kind of telling you that some of my friends had plans. He was the one that had a plan, went to school, and he was the one that went to full sale. His name's Donald Kilgore. He's like, you just want to like become a partner in my business and help me do this. And so we did. Started to land some really big clients. I think probably the biggest deal we landed was like twenty or $30,000. And that was like, for a website, that was a big yeah. deal. It was an mm-hmm. RV dealership here in Texas called Demontron. They're really well-known around here. They have Chrysler, Jeep, Ford, whatever, and they have an RV place. And so we built out, and this is actually leading into rails too, because this is like 2005. David had recently just said, whoops. And uh, we were all watching,
2: you know, what I'm saying, right? <laughs> right, David Heinemeier hands. That's right, David Heinemeier hands. Yeah. Video on Rails blog right. in five minutes.
0: Yeah, and so we had we had built this version of uh, of Demontron, and we didn't really like how it was functionality. And so that's when Rails was really cool. I started getting into that more. I reached out to some people and kind of put together a team. I was on the front end, and they were building up the back end. We built out this really awesome site in Rails, and I think I just kind of stumbled into it because I wasn't trying to be, even though I know I said, my mom said I'm really good at it. I wasn't really thinking I would be a web developer. I kind of like just was doing it, was into like biz dev. I really like to create and develop relationships. And I just see that as like one more way to do it because one, I could do it well. No one else was really doing it. I had an opportunity. I can cultivate clients. I can do a lot of these interesting things. And the door just opened up.
1: Yeah. And I imagine a lot of, the job was communicating with yeah.
0: the clients and understanding their needs and you know you've got I your would talk to to for hours even like yeah. like on the phone for hours talking through things and figuring things out and and a lot of iteration a lot of feedback from them so it was really fun so would you say rails
1: was one of the key inspirations for you starting uh, a podcast around open source i mean rails is one of the most important open source projects it's brought so many people into the field it's
0: it revolutionized yeah. how a lot of uh, CRUD-based web apps were built. For sure. So a little piece of the history is, so the person that I hired to work with me on the Rails site, his name's Josh Owens. He's pretty po- prominent in the JavaScript and, I believe, like Meteor Space now. He had a podcast uh, that w- that began in 2004 called The Web 2.0 Show. So I don't know if you know this, Quincy, but at one point, the web was just 1.0. <laughs> right? And then then it became Two And that just meant that we had gradients and like rounded corners. What uh,
2: version are we on at this point?
0: uh, Who knows? You know, (laughs) (laughs) who knows? Still Uh, using HTML5 and CSS3, right? There you go. That's right. And so he had a show, a podcast called The Web 2.0 Show. And it was one of the very earliest first technical or tech or software focused podcast. And at that time, you didn't have to do much because you just had to be a podcast. You could be terrible quality sound wise great content. It didn't matter. You had all the listeners because there was no one else doing it. And so his partner had quit. And this is how I got into podcasting and s- more specifically how I got into like talking to people that weren't just like my buddies nearby about software, technical related things. And so I became his uh, his co-host, I think in like late 2005, early 2006. I literally been podcasting since like 2005. I can say 2005 because at least like November two thousand five, not all the whole year, but I can claim two thousand five.
1: Yeah, wow. So yeah. you were on the ground floor, yeah. of
0: podcasting as a medium. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways. I mean, I can remember using a really crappy uh, snowball. It was like a white microphone. It was crappy to me because you can see the mics we're using now. And over time, I had to learn about audio too. Things that I never even really cared to learn about. That you sort of had to had to be forced to learn these things just by way of producing audio and now you have to deliver a show that sounds really good we used to get away with it before where we can like not that we wanted to but we could ship something to our listeners that wasn't immaculate sound quality you know but now we kind of feel like we're because of what listeners desire and demand and because so many people are doing it well and it's also a lot easier to produce it well Mm -hmm. being like if you go back and listen to the web 2.0 show you'll hear what i'm talking about
1: yeah, even, even some of the earlier episodes of the changelog, listening to them,
0: I mean, there's it's just night and day yeah. with today and the production quality. It's it's funny. You go back and listen to episode number one, and then even go from one to just, to just 100. Just go on the, on the hundreds. Go to one, 100, 200, and 300. What were like, 367 will ship this week, I believe. So, yeah. It's consistency. But the, way, <laughs> the way the changelog came about was was uh, I was working with a buddy named Win Netherland. and Wynn? Netherland? Win Netherland. N- kind of Win like the Netherlands, Netherlands but okay. Netherland. And uh, I think he used to say that too. He goes by Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N on, uh, on Twitter. So look him up. But uh, he was at an interesting space because he ran a consultancy uh, called Squeegee. Now, Wynn's got some really interesting witty humor. So it was called Squeegee because he liked to like clean things and make things nice. And their brand was like... A lot like you might imagine like uh, a cleaning products brand. So like kind of like sheeny and shiny. And it was really interesting. I loved uh, loved that aspect about him. But he was in his crossroads because he had just decided to leave his consultancy and sort of like go a new direction. And so did I. And so we were sort of both in this sort of like, let's establish our name for ourselves. Let's kind of like, you know, etch out some new territory. And obviously I had a background in in at least doing something with podcasting. And so like talking about things. And I was like, what if we were both talking about how fast open source is moving? And I'm like, you know what people just need is they just need like a a wayfinder through the version. So if something changes, if you know Rails 1.0 versus 1.8 or whatever it might be, you know, somebody just needs to sort of like chronicle the change log of a po- of a of a software product or software open source, whatever. Like someone needs to sort of like tell that story. And that's what what's missing, what happened here and what happened here. And what's happening in between, people don't have that. And so I was like, what if we just did a show called Changelog? So it was just Changelog at first. And we was like, what about the Changelog?
1: It <laughs> <laughs> so it's so, like the opposite of the Facebook to Facebook. That's to right. Facebook. right. Changelog
0: to the Changelog. That's yeah. more definitive. Yeah. And so we were the Changelog. And as a matter of fact, it's really funny because it began as – We still own these domains. Yeah, when did you get changelog.com? Because that's a really good domain. Yeah, it took a a couple years. And it wasn't very expensive. There's a
2: story behind that. We had the changelog.com. Yeah,
0: it began as changelogshow.com. And that was actually what our original uh, Google account was set up under. Our email was actually adam at changelogshow. And then we aliased the changelog.com. And then eventually I'm like, you know what? We just need to shorten it to just changelog on Twitter and wherever we can. And so... We only really did that because they became available to us. Somebody uh, on Twitter gave that handle to us. Thank you. I can't recall your wow. name, but we wrote about this. At Never some heard point.
1: about somebody on Twitter actually responding. Did they just voluntarily, or did they you just ask gave them? it to us?
0: Yeah, they were a, they were in software and so they liked what we were doing. They're like, I see that you're going to use it for good things. It's not like you just want it because you're some jerk or whatever. And so they knew we had good intentions. ChangeLaw.com was owned by somebody else in software, and they. Uh, I don't think they were really interested in selling it until I made him an offer and then he agreed to it. We got we got changelaw.com for a thousand dollars. Wow. A thousand dollars. Yeah. What year was that? Uh I want to say like twenty fifteen, maybe. Not that long ago. Yeah, maybe twenty fourteen. Man, what probably twenty fourteen. These, these are great, some really chill people, because I mean
2: That's a great deal. Yeah.
1: He could have he could have seen like, well, yeah. the writing's on the wall, you've been doing this for a while, you're probably gonna keep doing this. You're you know, I want more than a thousand bucks. But yeah. he, it sounds like he... Believed in the mission. If he wanted yeah. to give you that kind of price,
0: yeah, I don't think he believed in the mission. <laughs> I I think he just saw us as someone who could do something with it that wasn't just, I guess I, I don't know, just something useful. And we were willing to give him what he what he yeah. desired, which was a thousand bucks. And we ended up using Sedu S E D O to do the sort of like the whole, um, in you know was the uh, the escrow kind of situation where we put the money in there. He's able to collect the money or whatever, and then it's it's a nice, easy way. So I recommend if you're going to buy a domain from somebody, I don't have all the details, but that's how we did it. I would use – I would do it that way if you don't know the person. Do it with some sort of like exchange scenario, somebody in the middle that can facilitate it and – I don't know if they would actually like press charges if they didn't follow through, but there's something. There's some sort of commitment.
2: Well, if with an escrow in the middle, they yeah. can hold the funds. Yeah. I
0: mean, yeah, exactly. yeah, I mean, it's,
1: Especially if it's like an international transaction, yeah. which court do you go to, yeah. to dispute things? You know? Yeah, so exactly. So that, that's smart.
0: ChangeLaw.com was pretty cool. We we even had, it was a big move. You, you helped, you yeah. did all that. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us some of the technical parts of that. I mean,
2: what, what was the... That was five years ago. It's just like a lot of... A lot, a lot of, re- of, re- of redirects. <laughs> a lot of redirects.
1: Before we dig into all that, so of course I listened I had to listen to the first episode of <laughs> oh, the change log for uh, doing the research. How did it sound? And, yeah. Did you like it? I mean it was it was pretty rough. I yeah. pulled it up on like I've got a <laughs> I've got a podcast tool that just makes it really easy to pull up uh old podcasts. I don't know how they archive it cuz even when I go on like iTunes and try to scroll all the way down it yeah. it doesn't go all That's the way terrible, back yeah. which kind of is disappointing I'm Jerry can share there. some reasons why
0: at yeah. length That's and in an detail.
2: Scenario, but.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, but uh, I was able to find it and pull it up, and uh, we'll link to it in the show notes if you want to yeah. give it a listen just to hear the. It's really the easy. changel.com slash one. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, good. It's really easy. That's a, that's a good path. Um, yeah, so David, or Wynne, I'm sorry, Wynn uh, Evelyn, yeah. Wynn sounds like a really cool guy. He ultimately went to get a job at GitHub, I understand. Right, yeah.
0: There's some story there, too. I mean, we can go into a little bit of yeah. it. So Wynn and I became uh, close friends. We had actually done some. Uh, some teaching together. So Wim was more developer, less designer, and less front-end, but he really had a, a an eye for aesthetic and an eye for design, and he loved to always tinker. And he was, and if I had to describe him, he was always like a a minimalist approach to things, but not, you know, he wasn't the kind of developer like, I can't touch CSS, or he just loved to, like, dive into things, and he just thrived at that. And so we did a... um we did a uh, a class at Lone Star Ruby Conference and a couple other places. I want to th- I want to say called Design Eye for the Dev Guy or Gal. And, <laughs> it's quite a name. <laughs> which was yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. And so we, what we wanted to do is like just help software developers who are just primarily in in code and back-end type stuff and not at all in the front end feel a bit more comfortable with early technologies like SaaS, pre uh uh pre-compilers, um, stuff like that. And uh, this is early days of SAS. This is even before like the SCSS syntax. So like this was super early days. So one side small tangent would be that before there was the change log, I actually wanted to do a SAS podcast, but nobody would do it with me. So <laughs> so I, I died on that sword and instead decided to do this uh this show. Uh, the change law because uh, I had a partner who would who would be willing to, to work with me on it. So there you go. No one was really interested in the SaaS. They're like, why don't you just do a CSS show? And there's CSS Tricks and I'm like, yeah, but Chris is nobody. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? Chris is not nobody. He's
1: the man. Yeah, yeah if Listen, is. Chris, we love you. That's right. But
0: that was like 2009 though. So like where CSS Tricks is today to, to where it was then. Oh yeah. Uh, Chris has done an amazing job. So it just, we were all early days and that was like before it's where it's at now. And so there was just the field was more green. There was a lot more opportunity, you know, in terms of like making
2: carving like, a niche,
0: right? Whereas now, like, we wouldn't start a front-end focused website or podcast like that, like Chris would do, you know, because somebody's already doing it doing it well. We would do something else that where there's a hole to fill, not not to cramp in on somebody else's style. Yeah, you and know? open source was clearly
1: something that needed some.
0: Yeah, love. and it was moving so fast. GitHub. I mean, this the show began in two thousand nine. And GitHub had just become a thing in 2008. And a little bit more history going one layer deeper. So on the Web 2.0 show, we actually met up with Chris uh, Wanstroth and uh, TP Dubs, Tom Preston Warner, uh, three months after GitHub was founded. Wow. And we had them on the Web 2.0 show. So if you want to go back and listen to some really interesting old days of GitHub, not owned by Microsoft, not bought for billions, like dreamers, like these were developers who were like, wow, we somehow found a way to tie in, like, this front end and this collaboration and Git. And, like, it was before all these visions and dream had come to fruition like they have. Before they invented the right. pull request. And Did- so was, that's, to me, that's super cool. That That's what really got me into, like, loving this medium was because even with our show, we can go back and, like, chronicle the paths of some developers. You know, we've had some people on four times, three times, several times. We've seen not only their changes as, uh, as individual people, but the software they command or the things they maintain or the communities they lead. It's just really interesting. I, I love the fact that we get a chance to be kind of what that drill sergeant was to, to me, the encourager, right? We like to shine our light in places where it's not always being shined and just encourage people to press forward, to congratulate them for working really hard maintainers who don't get anything, we love to pat them on the back and say, keep going, you're doing an awesome job, and just do what we can to put more uh, focus on the things they're working on.
2: Fun fact, so GitHub had their own podcast in the very, very early days of GitHub called (laughs) Git-splosion, which was Chris Wanstroth and Tom Preston-Warner and PJ Hyatt, the three founders of GitHub, basically just sitting in a room and talking to each other. It was very low rent, and it was very raw, yeah, and I think it's disappeared off the internet once they probably raised funding and started probably, becoming yeah, more corporate. Probably a liability. But I used to listen to that, and PR it was, like, it was very bet. raw, and I loved it. So I just thought of that when you talked about the yeah. early days with the Oh show. They actually had their own show about Git and GitHub, and they really just hung out anyways. yeah. If you can find that, send us links. I'd love to listen to it again. It's, it's some interesting content, but yeah. it's probably gone.
0: You, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't interrupt. One more layer to his story, though, in speaking to GitHub and podcasts, we were actually syndicated for a while onto github.com slash explore. Ah. So for a while there, like they, you know, this is early days too. So they, they were just, they love what we're doing. They love the change law. They love what we're trying to do about open source and sharing, you know, all the things happening. And they're like, let's, let us help you somehow. And so they syndicated the, the most recent five episodes were on, github.com slash explore. Now, it's not there anymore, so if you go there, don't be disappointed. I am. But, um, (laughs) you know, if anybody at GitHub wants to, you know, reignite, I'm just kidding.
1: Whatever. No, that's some prime real estate right there. Yeah, it was.
0: Such an interesting time then, too, because that GitHub was not at all the GitHub it is today, which doesn't mean it's bad or good. It just means that it was interesting because we could work with the it was ran by developers and not like, oh, business people are bad, but it was like people who want to help other developers do well and do cool things. They were willing to share, you know, what they were doing and and, and prop up the show. For a while there, people actually thought that changelog was owned by GitHub. That's how closely things were. And so it's just an interesting time. I appreciate the, the time we were on Explore, but it was just really interesting that they were able to share that. And it was developers who ran it, not some bureaucrats or... VC that didn't have this humanity connection to us as software developers just trying to like at that time this show was just a hobby like it was after that it became a business for lack of better terms
1: yeah and that's what I'm really excited to talk about next so of course there was kind of like a Urban Dictionary has this definition of this word called pod fade yes essentially a podcast will start publishing less and less frequently and maybe they won't admit to themselves that they're that the best days of the podcast are behind them but Maybe they are kind of heading toward the door, so to speak. So
2: oftentimes with a pod fade, there'll be a long gap and there'll be one last episode in which the podcast announces that it's returning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that yes. is when you know that you have worst. a pod fade. And that's that's the last episode in the feed is the one the apology. Sorry, we've been so quiet, we're back. Yeah. And that's that's the end. But and that mm-hmm. happens a
1: lot on YouTube too.
2: Yes. We had that, but we continued. Yeah. So
0: let's talk about that. That okay. struggle for the soul of the change log. Okay, so um, slight backstory on that, too. So Wynn and I both uh, met this guy named uh, Josh Kopher, who was starting a nonprofit. He actually met Wynn first. And Wynn and I were both freelancing, as I mentioned, and doing the Change Law podcast as a hobby, fun thing, just to do. And uh, and when Wynn was building his team for Pure Charity, this, this nonprofit that Josh Kopher was forming— to be a place for nonprofits to coalesce, to get information on how to best fundraise, how to lead their charges, how to uh, unify their followers, their supporters, for lack of better terms. Um, Wim was like first, you know, one of the first picks. I was a second hire after him, so I guess I was first pick. Um, He's like, Adam, do you want, you know, do you want to do this, this kind of thing? And so next thing you know, we're working for this, you know, this nonprofit called Pure Charity. And uh, when was CTO, I think I was like, you know, UX designer or something like that. I don't remember what my title was. doesn't matter. The point was, was that we were just sort of like fleshing out our careers a bit more. And about two years pass and the majors call, right? Wins in the farm club at Pure Charity. The majors, GitHub calls and says, hey, Win, you want to come out to San Francisco? We want to talk to you about some things. And so long story short, he got called up to the majors. He couldn't say no. It was it was. We both love we were doing at Pure Charity, but he couldn't say no to it. Yeah. And it was a, you know, like any podcast. that's just a hobby. You only have so much love for it and so much time for it. When you have family, you know, you've got your career, you got other things. And so we was like, hey, I'm out of time. I just can't do this anymore. And I think that was around September 2012. And uh, and and I was kind of bummed. I'm like, hey, I, I get it. I don't have a lot of time for it either. And then I sat in this sort of lull for a while just thinking, like, you know, it's not worth much, but would anybody want to buy it? Like, should I keep yeah. it going? What should I do with it? You know, I know, it's, I know what it means to so many people and what it could mean if we just keep it going. And so I was just really in this whole space where I was just questioning whether it made any more sense for me. Because I'm definitely, you know, more on the design front-end side than developer side. And Jared has to remind me all the time to drop my imposter syndrome and say, dude, you're a developer. Uh, because I, it, at least even right now, I feel less developer than I had been before, but I was always more on the front end, user experience, sort of like biz dev side of things, relationship side of things, how should it look, how should it function, how can we deliver it, than the follow through, than the doing part right. of, of software. And I've, I've worked with great people, but it's just not where I shine. I can do it, but I shine better in other areas. And so I was like, "Am I an imposter by just keeping this thing going? What can I do?
1: yeah, man, that is some hardcore imposter syndrome, yeah. and I totally yeah, there have definitely been deaths with Free Code camp as well uh where I felt some like a total imposter, yeah, um, but thank goodness you didn't sell it because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i there's no way that anybody could have taken it over and brought it to such heights as it is today, but thank you um so that's something I'm extremely grateful for that you that you stuck with it um yeah, so you stuck with it in and, and a phone call. or how, yeah. Tell us the story behind Jared
0: entering the stage. I'll tee it up. Tee and it you, up and for him. You can tee it up right. for him. And get, okay. yeah. tee My tee up. up is super short. He emailed Wynn, <laughs> and Wynn forwarded the email to me. That was it.
2: Yeah, so I was a listener, and I was tracking the blog. So Wynn has an uncanny skill of finding new things. The gems. Yeah, he could find gems. And, you know, over the years I've tried to imitate that and I've gotten pretty okay at it. But I can, I like to find things too, you know, new open source project here, a new technique, a great blog post. And so I was following the blog mostly. I was, I'm also a podcast junkie was back then still. And that's why I know about Gitsplosion where most people don't even realize that yeah. was a podcast. I'm like the GitHub guys have a podcast. I'll listen to it. And so I was a listener of the show and uh, I really appreciated the blog because I was in Omaha, Nebraska doing my thing writing software for people and I very much felt like I was on an island so to speak in the open source world I, I cut my teeth on UNix and and Linux and networks and I was a vim guy early on I was just always in open source like I learned Perl and then I learned Ruby and then rails blew my mind and I was building rails websites and so I was in the open source universe I didn't even really realize that like there was much else even though like there's this entire Microsoft side of things that I just didn't people started talking to me about C-sharp and I didn't know what they're talking about early on. Um, And then it started to fade and the blogs were coming less and less often and the podcast was happening less and less. And I was running my own uh, single person consultancy, basically making uh, web apps for people. And I had known Wynn because of Ruby, I believe. I think he had a Ruby gem that I used. And I can't remember which one it was. He actually was involved in the Twitter gem for a while. Yeah, he was. Um, and I remember I had you know contributed to that and then basically we followed each other on Twitter. And I started listening to his podcast and he started reading my blog or something. Anyway, we were just mutual uh, connections there. And I didn't even know about Adam very much, except for he was the guy that was always talking to Wynn. Wynn did a lot of the interviews yeah. on the show back then. Um, I knew that Adam was involved in the changelog and Win, you know, the changelog was Win and Adam. I didn't know who Adam was. I knew who Wynn was. And so when it started to fade out, basically I had the capability of just helping out with the blog because I had my own business. And so I could fill in gaps and I could do that kind of work. And so I just offered, I just emailed Wynn and I was like, Hey, I see you guys are like struggling to keep it going. Can I help? You know, cause I can, I can blog once a week or whatever it is. And so Wynn had, I think had actually moved on already. I just, it was all behind the scenes he was already working at GitHub or something, and so he just forwarded. He's like, "Hey, man, thanks for reaching out," and he forwarded me to Adam and and Andrew, who was also a co host at the time. Yeah, Um because Andrew and, and I worked together
0: at Pure Charity as well.
2: Andrew, yeah, Andrew Thorpe. And so that's how I got involved was was through that. Yeah, I didn't want to see it die.
0: A listener, this could be you. This kidding. is amazing. So
2: this <laughs> this this reminds
1: me of like the story of like you know Judas Priest, how like the Rob Halford had to leave the band for whatever reason, and they found a guy who was running the, he He was the singer of a tribute band for Judas Priest. Okay. And he became the singer of really? Judas Priest. That's wow. amazing. Right? It's like a Cinderella story. And it sounds kind of like this was a Cinderella story. You're listening one day, you're listening to the changelog. The next day, you're on the changelog.
2: Yeah. It was very surreal the first time that I was on the show because I, I wrote for the website for a while before I was on the show right. because Andrew was at Pure Charity. Andrew uh, moved on to Stripe, I think he went to. Yeah. He went to work at Stripe. Wasn't going to co-host anymore, and uh, eventually I came into the co-host role. But I remember the first time I was on; it was like a reunion episode yeah. with me, you, Steve, Steve Kalabnik, and Kenneth and Andru- Reitz. Yeah, Kenneth Reitz and, and Andrew was on the show as well. Yeah. Like five of us, and we were just kind of shooting the poop. It was so supposed to, speak. to be live
0: every week, and it—I
2: think it was a, the first and only live show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I could be wrong, but, but we, had, it, we had ambitions. But it was very strange hearing my voice on the show that I'd been listening to for all those yeah. years. You know, that was back in uh, 2012, 2013 time range. Yeah, was when I got involved so
1: yeah well give us a little bit more background about yourself because uh, to even get in the position where you were contributing to these these libraries uh like the twitter gem for example Mm -hmm. one i used uh early on as a developer as well so i didn't even realize it until you said it but i've used some of your code um how did you ramp up what's your what's your origin story
2: so it's somewhat humorous to me that you're asking both of us about our origin stories we used to do origin stories on the show that's true in fact, you were on the show about four years ago. We might have got your origin story as well. And we stopped doing those over time because we found that they were kind of hit or miss. Uh, the first one that I remember was Kong or Mashape, I think, Ahmad Nasri. Yep. Yeah. He had an yeah. amazing origin story. Uh, I missed that show. I was so bummed yeah, too. Yeah, I, I interviewed him by myself and I was like, Adam, this guy had an amazing, we have to ask everybody their origin story. It's so <laughs> cool. And then we started asking more and more people and it became to where like somebody would have an amazing one. The other one would be very boring and and straightforward. And so that's what you're running into right now because Adam just had his origin story from poverty and the military and all these things. And my origin story is very status quo for somebody in America and growing up in the nineties, I was raised by two parents who loved each other and loved me this Coming up on their fiftieth anniversary. Awesome! Congratulations! Uh, In the suburbs of Middle America, Uh, pretty typical public school education. You know, went to college, learned some stuff, got into got into technology, and and here I am. I mean, there's not much, there's not much to dig into that's unique or different. Um, And so I don't I don't think we need to cover too much.
0: (laughs) the one piece of your history that I do like that's kind of interesting is um, the government job you have planned for you after school that's that's an interesting caveat that i don't know how much you want to share about that sure. but that's an interesting caveat to your story
2: yeah absolutely so there are, there are some things in there that that we might be able to to dig into so uh, i've always considered myself to be a cautious, a cautious opportunist and so when i see opportunities in my life i just kind of cautiously Go into them versus either like rambunctiously going in or jump right in yeah. or go or not go in. So like that's kind of where I've been. And even with the change this was not like I decided, hey, this is going to be a, a new part of my career. I was just more like I could contribute to the blog. Like I saw a need, and I kind of started, and it just like slowly, slowly steamrolled. And so that's the story of my education as well. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't into software. I wasn't into technology. I got my first computer. I was 18 years old, which is relatively late for a lot of developers. The only thing I did on it was Napster, you know, <laughs> pretty much. And then I played video games. Um, a friend of mine in high school told me I should apply for a scholarship. There's a thing in Omaha called the Walter J. Scott Scholarship. Walter Scott is a, uh, a guy who's done very well for himself and uh, has a scholarship for certain students to go into uh, technology industry and then stay in omaha is kind of his deal that's cool i had never heard of it my friend said hey you should try this out it's an it thing and i was like it what's that is <laughs> <laughs> you know I was is like, it, it internet things <laughs> right i mean i was actually planning on being an architect that was but I, I wasn't like passionate about art you know in school they kind of like make you pick something and uh i had done pretty good on the cad machine like i, I could draw, draw a thread you know i remember my my cad design teacher was like you're gonna make a great architect one day i'm like okay i'll be an architect and that was like the extent of my passion (laughs) for architecture but i was like okay i could do that looking back i think i was just good at manipulating the computer to make a thread design not the actual design itself so i was probably just better at cad than i was at architecture um because i i do have a knack for these things but i just didn't know it anyways my friend uh chad told me about this scholarship and my, pre, my other friend, Aaron, had gotten the scholarship a year earlier. It's for people who test pretty well on, on scores. Um, and Aaron tested very well. And I thought if he could do it, I could do it. <laughs> that was kind of my, my attitude. So I applied for the scholarship, got the scholarship. And it included, you know, like a computer and, and stuff like that. Full ride to, to UN, the University of Nebraska. So that was really cool. And that's really what got me into software at all. I was management information systems. I uh, was it's which is kind of like computer science, but it's not computer science. It's like th- they try to sell it as the best of both worlds of like business and computer science together. I found out that's actually means like the least of both of those worlds. Right. <laughs> like you're not a computer scientist and you're not <laughs> exactly. a business person either. And so it's kind of like just a lukewarm version of either of those other majors. Right. Um, don't recommend it. Just go computer science if you are going to go to a four year uh, school. I second that recommendation. Yeah. Um, or just start on free code camp. Uh, and I, I didn't really learn Yeah, I second time I would, I would encourage people to still go to school
1: if you have the resources to go to school.
2: Yeah, yeah. I would too. Um, well, there's lots of routes. so I actually I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Everybody needs something a little bit different. and so for some people, a free code camp is like 100% the way to go, even if they have the resources. for some people, a, uh, yeah. a boot camp, like an in-person immersive but still short thing is great way to get started. They can go from there. For other people, they may need you know a four-year degree before they go into it. Your age matters. Your life circumstance matters. Absolutely. And so there really is not like a, a, a single solution to rule them all, which is why I, I love how many options there are and how yeah. it's like an ecosystem. Anyways, a little bit off topic. I but,
0: like that, though. I mean- a lot of facets to how you can learn. That's what's important. There, right. The important thing to communicate is there's not one way that, that rules all. It Your way may be different than mine or Jared's or Quincy's, and it's just a matter of persevering through it, getting over the humps and hurdles Right. that sometimes, I mean, that's why it's hard because hard things, if it was easy, everyone would do it. It's hard yeah. because it's worth doing. So persevere, find some friends or your tribe to, you know, guide you through or support you through, you know, yeah. get, get people around you, mentors, all that stuff. So there, there isn't one way that, that's the best fit for everybody.
2: Yeah, so I cautiously walked into that opportunity and it worked out. And that moved me off the architecture track and into the computer world, so to speak. I didn't really learn very much about computer systems uh, in the first few years of my college. That's just an unfortunate fact. Some of that was me, a lot of that was the school. Um, my last year, I found another potential scholarship, and I liked scholarships because uh, it's free money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this one was cool. So one, a cool thing about the Walter Scott Scholarship is it's uh, stackable. There's actually a term. I can't remember what it is. But certain ones, you get like a full ride and you're done. You can't actually get other scholarships. Well, for enterprising students who would rather get scholarships than like jobs, like myself, like <laughs> uh, you could find ones that are stacked, and if you can get those, then you're basically getting more money. So I found another scholarship called the uh, National Science Foundation Scholarship for Service, and it was all about information assurance. And so this was like a push into getting uh, some of these CS people and MIS people into software security, so assurance that your software is. Information
1: assurance. I haven't yeah. heard of that, but it's like quality assurance and information security yeah. kind of
2: Bashed up Exactly. It's like, how sure are you? You, know, can you? Can we be sure about our systems? And so it was very much a, 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 a government thing. Um, it was two years of schooling, which stacked on top of my other scholarship, with a concentration on information assurance, which was a new thing at the university at the time. I think it still exists. But it's basically, I learned penetration testing, securing and hardening systems, de- you know, defense in depth, all these security concepts and then i was supposed to go into two uh, attached to that is 2 years to work with a government agency uh upon graduation so it was really great i actually learned a lot in that program you learned the the really nitty gritty of how systems work networks especially and how insecure they are and ways that you can pick those things apart upon graduation there was a hiring freeze in the <laughs> in the government and so we had a circumstance where, you know, sometimes the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. Well, on the right side of the government's hand, they were creating a new scholarship for service <laughs> to get all these new bright young minds to go work for uh, a three-letter agency. And on the left-hand side, they had a hiring freeze on. So we were the first class that, that did the scholarship. There's 200 of us nationwide. And there were no jobs for us, but we had this agreement commitment yeah, yeah a commitment a two-year commitment and so it was kind of like, like
1: make you peel potatoes for two years or what, well what they happened? wanted us to
2: wait sit around and wait really they expected you to wait for just two years before starting your career yeah sit around and wait so yeah. that was unfortunate so I was in this weird like uh no man's land where I was graduating I had this commitment but there was no job to actually fulfill a commitment and so what was I supposed to do well uh, in that time frame, this is like when I was in the 21 to 23 time range, time range. Uh, at age 22, I became a Christian, and I started to attend a local Bible church uh, in Omaha, and I really felt like it was important for me to stay there. Uh, while I was there, I met uh, the pastor, who's also an IT guy, and ran a software company with a networking need, and he was like, oh, I'll put you to work. And he even, <laughs> that's was great. Like, really? He's like, yeah, in fact, you can work for me as long as you want. And then if they come knocking, then you can just leave. Like, you know, most people, it's, hard to, find, it's, hard, it's hard to find a job yeah. in that place. Because yeah. Like, by the way, I might have to quit at any moment's notice and go work for the government. He was like, he did that for me. Oh, stand up guy. Yeah, spectacular. <laughs> uh, changed my life in many ways, that guy. His name is John Malone. And uh, he also thought it was ridiculous that they were. Basically, holding this commitment to us, and so he helped me petition the schools and the system, and basically they let a lot of us just off our commitment because there's no jobs, and so he was instrumental in you know providing for me during that time period, and then also helping me to get that commitment raised, and so uh, I just kept working for him. I was like, well, <laughs> this worked out pretty well. Uh, he helped me out when I was in a bind. He's a software guy. And he from way back in the day he knows all the the nuts and bolts of, like, the old school software guys. And he's got work for me to do, so I just worked for him for a while. Um, I was never really a considered myself a programmer back then. I was kind of like a networking scripter. I considered myself a scripter. It's funny how reluctant people are to consider themselves developers. developers or developers. I know. Like, I'm not quite a developer. I know. Like, I took some of the developer. Like, I took C++ and I yeah. took... Uh, C programming, which I actually liked more than C plus We can we could talk about that, but we probably <laughs> won't. And I learned Perl. And as a penetration tester, as a person who's like trying to break into systems and stuff, um, or find holes, uh, or even as a script kitty. Like there's a reason why they're called script kiddies is because they don't have the skills of a of a cat, but they got the scripts. And so I would learn scripts. I would read scripts. I would write scripts. I consider myself like an automator. And so I I wrote a lot of Perl scripts. Um, and then I found the Ruby programming language and I was like, why would I write Perl scripts when I can write Ruby scripts? Kind of the spiritual successor yeah. to Ruby. Yeah, in lots to, of ways. to Pearl, yeah. Yeah, I borrowed a lot of the great things from Perl and then discarded some of the things, some of the warts. Um, and so I started writing Ruby. I knew some Perl, I knew some Ruby. I considered myself a networking guy. Like I ran some mail servers and I would automate a lot of things around that job. So while I was working for John, I automated a lot of the things that he had for me to do on the network. And so I could either twiddle my thumbs at work because I had automated all my, my <laughs> responsibilities, or I could consi- continue learning my skill, you know, establishing my skills. And so I was tweaking WordPress blogs, mostly my blog, it's kind of like pimp my blog early in the day, Yeah, where I had this blog is probably slightly uh, better than Adams in terms of like content, because it was like a. <laughs> I was trying to write interesting things. It wasn't what you said. It was like family photos and stuff. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. a little bit more general. An
0: occasional personal thought,
2: but nothing very profound. And I was writing about software and just blogging. And I really want, it was a WordPress site. I really wanted my latest. I remember when I started realizing, oh, I can just program websites. There was like a flip in my mind. And it was, uh, I wanted my most recently played iTunes songs in the sidebar of my blog. Because back, at, this is the blogosphere day. Yeah. Yeah, you were trying to share kind of the little things you I wanted doing. to pit my blog. Yeah. Like, I wanted cool stuff in my sidebar. And so I had to basically start writing PHP. Like, I wrote a WordPress plugin or something like that. And it talked to the, you know, the, the iMac at my house. Or I can't remember exactly the details. And I got it done, you know. And that was really cool. And then I was like, okay, what else can I do with my blog? You know, started, like, integrating the Flickr stuff into it. Right. All these Flickr, mashups. not Instagram, Flickr. That's right, back in the <laughs> Flickr days. all the ma- We were just mashing stuff up back yeah. then. That was the cool thing. Open APIs, mash them up, come up with something new. I loved that stuff. Mashups, yeah. And so that's when I started thinking, you know what, I could just do this for other people because uh, it's pretty cool. And I saw the power of the web platform, really. And I was like, every business needs something like this or could, or could be advantaged by having one like today it's kind of table stakes to have a certain you know web presence but back then we're talking 2006 it was not table stakes it was adva- it was a competitive advantage you know so i started helping people do that kind of stuff i learned ruby on rails and because i had this job where i was doing networking but also this boss who was like hey you've you've achieved all of these goals that we need if you can go make money another way go ahead and go do that and so i started bringing basically freelance consulting clients into his business and operating on like a one-on-one basis with them. And I did that for years. And that's kind of, from that eventually I I went out on my own and started my own entity uh, doing very similar work, bought my customers from him, uh, You know, still great friends to this day. It wasn't like that. Uh, Started doing it on my own. And in that circumstance is when, I was like,
0: fly away a bird. Fly away. Yeah, exactly. You, you're, yeah. you graduated. Yeah, so yeah. Uh,
2: un, in, under those circumstances, I could help out with the changelog. And so that's in 2012 is when I hooked up with Adam and Wynn. You
0: know, you're hearing this somewhat for the first time, right? I mean, and kind of I am too. It's I'm kind of mind blown that what's interesting about the story of success, right? This overnight success actually took many years. And then you, when you dig into the details, you get to see all the little things that sort of, had to happen to make things yeah. successful happen, right? Like if Jared wasn't fortunate enough in those ways to have a good friend given that opportunity, him thrive in it and then excel at it to a point where he can actually go off on his own and have that freedom and flexibility, well, geez, I mean he would have never emailed Win. I would have probably podfaded <laughs> forever. Right. You know, yeah. and it would have been just a, a a dead
1: dog. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, what I'm getting from hearing your respective origin stories is there are so many people along the way yes. yeah, who were almost guardian angels in a way yeah. and cleared the path for you to go toward
0: your destiny of uh, running
1: the changelog yeah. together. Yeah.
0: One more aspect of Jared's story that he's not sharing yet, I'm sure he, he might, is the same person John told him what a communicator he was. That's right. And he's the person that sort of like gave that insight to Jared. So sometimes you have these these truths about you that you don't know, right? It's kind of weird to like know you, but not know all of you. And somebody else sees this thing in you and he shares this with Jared, that he's a really good communicator. Tell the story of course, but you know, and it sort of like gave Jared a new perspective on how he could be as good as he is in software and technology, but then also a good communicator and to bridge those two.
2: Yeah, so that was one of the the insights that John gave me uh, at some point, I can't remember exactly when. i have been working for him for a while. I'd known him for a while and we were good friends. And he saw my programming skills, which are, you know, I would say average to slightly above average. Like I can, I can throw it down, but I'm not gonna blow anybody away. Okay, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of better developers out there. Uh, maybe tens of thousands. I don't know. We don't, we don't, yeah. we don't measure these things. Point is, is like, could I be the best software developer in the world? No, but I can hold my own. And then on the other side, with communication skills and the ability to, to write well, to think you know, off the top of your head, to speak to people in ways that they understand. Uh, am I the best at that? No, I'm not the best at that either. But there's very few people that kind of play in both of those playgrounds. I mean, the stereotype of a developer, which I, I believe we're finally starting to break out of that mold and I love it. There's so many different kinds of developers now, but it's like the, the antisocial you know, person in their basement very doesn't want to talk to people wants to just i just want to code all day and drink mountain dew like that stereotype uh there's some truth in stereotypes right uh generally there's truth and then specifically they're they're wrong they're false yeah but the general truth there is that developers are not the best communicators and so there's very few good developers who can also communicate and so john said to me i didn't realize any of this i'm looking back at it realizing he said uh where you're going to succeed in this industry is that you can be you can bridge the gap between developers and communication skills. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, cool. Maybe you're right. Oh, oh, cool. (laughs) And then it's like, well, a podcast about software development. Yeah, I guess that does kind of make sense in retrospect. So yeah, yeah, he definitely made me aware of that as a possibility. You know, I didn't even think about it. So yeah, we've had, you know, I think everybody has influencers or enablers or, you know, that drill sergeant that says you're a leader now. Yeah, uh, I think everybody has those stories and sometimes it takes introspection and reflection to actually think about that, you know, because so much we're just like iterating forward yeah. and not looking back. So lots of people.
0: Yeah. Thank God for them too. I mean, geez, you know, that's why I think it's so important if you're in that position. That's why I made that point earlier and to make it again is that if you're in that kind of position to enable somebody What a blessing it is to enable somebody. The feedback loop is nice. It's a nice to have. It's not a need to have if you're in that position because just help people along the way. I mean, I can't even imagine how many people have listened to your show or our show or have been influenced by Free Code Camp or the Change Log or whatever we're doing that we've never even heard of that like their lives have literally changed. And we don't even know. Yeah. You know, we just got to show up every day, do what we do. You know, if we say we're going to do it, do it. If they say we're gonna be there, be there, and just help people to find respect, you know, compassion, empathy, and sometimes even the benefit of the doubt. Right. You know, yeah. Not everybody's bad, not everybody's good, but uh, finding that balance and, and uh, encouraging somebody and being that person—that's that's what I—that's what I love most about what we do—is is being able to to influence people's lives yeah. and to love on people.
2: And I know we're not we're not to that part of the interview yet, but I'll just say the the impact that you've had with Free Code Camp in the first five years. We'll, we'll get wow. to that later. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing to watch what you've done there, and and the amount of people whose lives you've helped. I mean it's it's astounding. I mean I read those numbers that you put in that blog post, and I was just like, wow, that's this is some serious impact. And like, you know, that tide is rising a lot of people's ships, and it's it's really cool. So, thank you. Props to you on yeah, that.
1: Thanks. I'm. Uh... Doing my best.
2: <laughs> just like you all. I'm just right. trying
1: to be consistent.
2: Yeah. The three C's, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well,
0: why don't you just go ahead since we mentioned the three C's? Yeah. This is something that I had uh, kind of just kind of recognized whenever I thought about the recipe for success when it comes to producing a podcast or basically any sort of piece of content. You have uh, basically three C's you got quality content or just content That's like you. produced on a consistent basis a community of people. So if, if you're producing content that's good, that people want to consume, enjoy, share, like, whatever it might be, uh, on a consistent basis or at least something where you set an expectation, you know, hey, I'm going to do a show every week. And then that's your, that's your rhythm, that's your cadence. Yeah. And then if you wrap all that around to a community or either develop a community or do it for a community, then you're going to have some success because that's all it takes. You could be talking about uh, knitting, you could be talking about software, you could be talking about uh, cameras and lighting, you could be talking about microphones, whatever. If you do that on that kind of rhythm, that kind of basis, with that kind of focus, you'll find success. And that's not easy to
2: do either. No, so, it's not. Uh, it, the three C's is, it's nice to remember them. And it's, it, it is it e- is somewhat easy to say, even though you throw the Q in there, that's it might right. mess you up. But it's easy to say. But especially the consistency part. Like you said, yeah. Quincy, you're just oh, trying yes, yeah. to be consistent. Yeah. And like even now we've transitioned into like a full blown business and like we're established. We've been here for ten years. But like consistency, you know, quality content is hard as well. I feel like we've gotten better at that over the years and you can you can develop an eye for it. And sometimes you still strike out or you in know, our case an ear. Yeah, an ear for it. Um, community is something that comes naturally to people who commune with other people. So yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, you have to put effort into that and it doesn't come without effort, but it's not as hard as yeah. consistency. Consistency, consistency is so hard. And that's why the pod yeah. fade is like a word in Urban Dictionary. I would say, for me, I think the, the harder thing is community
0: because it's not like Field of Dreams, build it and they come. It's, you've got to be there. You've got to yeah. show up every day. You've got to be invitation. So you're saying
2: the consistency...
0: I think yeah, we have places. The community. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Man,
1: they're all three hard. Yeah. <laughs> they are. yeah so okay. I find it,
0: I, I find it personally for me, it's been a little easier to be consistent with quality content uh-huh. and harder to be part of the community and, and develop that. Yeah. That's just, you know, that's me. Just like with learning, you have different paths. For me, right. that's the area where I fail more often, I think, or or don't thrive as well.
1: Yeah. well, Let's talk about how Jared came on board, and you had circumstances that were propelling you to professionalize the change yeah. log, if you will.
0: Well, I think when Win left, it it certainly put a kink in my thought pattern for it. Like I had made some money, just enough to sort of like you know server costs, pay the bills, make it somewhat worth it. It wasn't like we could leave uh, our full time jobs and even remotely consider doing that as a full time thing. You know, we had some early sponsors. We'd work with GitHub early for different things when they were promoting GitHub jobs. You know, And even then, we didn't have a keen eye on how to best partner with brands to help them share their messages in ways that developers really want to hear. So relevance is one, but then also not objectifying like, oh, you should get – the, you know, just – I don't know, just finding a way to humanize these businesses and help them reach developers in ways they just weren't able to in other ways. Like it's not a display ad. It's not this or whatever. And I think when it became a, a business, the the one thing for me personally, which is sort of embarrassing to even mention, as I mentioned, I was a freelancer for a while and didn't really have a, in quotes, job. I was my own self-employer, so to speak. Um, you know, I didn't do the best I could have done with filing my taxes properly and paying my taxes properly. <laughs> and, you know, thank God the government has an option where you can establish a payment plan, and I did. Uh, but that didn't mean that the tax debt was gone right away. So I had accumulated a little bit of tax debt a- having essentially buddied my knuckles as a freelancer. I didn't do things so well, learned, learned how to do it better, and then corrected those things. But Yeah, and, and this happens to a lot of freelancers. Yeah. The, the,
1: the U.S. tax code
0: is complicated. Yes,
1: <laughs> it is. Put it lightly, uh, you know. Well, even as a nonprofit taxes. that doesn't have to pay taxes, we still spend a huge
0: amount of time
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. figuring out like how to report everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, big sure event just, every here. Making yeah, it's sure almost, you keep that
0: designation, right? That's yeah. that's even it too. Like the difficulty of reporting it, especially as uh someone who's only collecting ten ninety nines, uh, that's really difficult. It really is. And like you're so focused on just like at least for me, my experience was so focused on just showing up and doing that I felt like, gosh, I just, could taxes be a little easier to do? And so I just didn't do them <laughs> <laughs> for, for like a couple of years. It's no big deal. But the point was is this, <laughs> what started to, to, to move it into this full-time business, you know, even an option for it was, you know, one, obviously we heard the backstory of Jared and all these things sort of orchestrating and coming to be, but then two, I had just been recently married. My wife and I, we met in 2010. Uh, we got married in 2012, and this is around that time I mentioned when stepped away late 2012, and I would say 2012 to 2013 was the years we began to, to formulate what has become a business, and it had been in place since 2009, didn't really become anything business substance until 2012, 2013, and that's my wife saying, hey, you can't do—my wife just helped me as a man guard my time because— as somebody who's just ambitious you will often just throw yourselves into things that you probably shouldn't say yes to you probably should say no more often and you know to help me understand that and guard me from that she said if you're going to do this if you're going to take time away from our relationship our future etc you got to find some way to make it make money you know make it worth it and so what was really interesting about that is having the heart to love on and care for our community and show up and do these things basically for free. No one downloads a podcast and pays a buck, right? It's all for free. But somewhere along the lines, we've got to find a way to make a business model or develop a business model that can help us do what we plan to do, which is create this awesome content and thrive in the community, do it consistently like the 3Cs say, but uh, have a model that allows us to, to operate that way. And so that was the hardest part was figuring out what that model was. It gets kind of easy because sponsorship for podcasts seems to be the most typical, especially now that it's kind of become a thing. You know earlier 29, uh, 2009, 2012, even in that era, there wasn't a lot of podcasts. It was still early. It was before serial and the big boom of podcasts right. and whatever. So you know obviously it would make sense to build a business model around around sponsors. Now, early version was like no sponsors, <laughs> members only kind of thing, and in all honesty, I would love to run a membership-driven only kind of business. That maybe not love, it would be nice. It would be fortunate to do that, yeah. but it's just not. It's just not enough to, to do what we try to do, and and so especially back we tried then some different models. We tried it. Yeah.
2: Uh, this yes, yeah, true. This was pre Patreon. Yeah. This was pre. Uh, really the modern era of the web where I think people are more forward to support things that they love because they don't want them to go away. Um, Back then it was more random. Like it just wasn't something that people are used to doing. Yeah, And so maybe now it would be more feasible. Whereas when we tried it, which which was around the time that I joined 2012, I remember the announcement was, I wasn't there yet. It was like member supported only. right? And I was like, really? And I was even a diehard listener. I don't think I signed up. So like it's really hard. That's terrible. Yeah. Sorry, man. I signed yeah, up. It's just five bucks. It was hard to get people bucks. to pull It was a world. hard sell back then. Maybe it's easier now, but I don't
1: know. So a membership program didn't work out the way you hoped it would, but you were quick to adapt.
0: Right. Well, we had to. I mean, if we were gonna. So if I was following my wife's advice, hey, if you're taking my time away from our time with you know as a relationship and growing our marriage, then I've got to find a way to make this succeed as a business. And I thought memberships would work. I was really uh, hopeful that it would. I still, as Jared said, I think we've, we've now come into a new world where they're more possible. And you also have this sort of new change where people want to support the things they love. And I think we have a small amount of people globally that would want to give that to us. And I don't want to take the opportunity away. The problem, I think, was that we were relying on that completely as a business model. And that just didn't, it just didn't work as a, it needed more, more than that. And I think for us, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity on the table. There's just so many businesses out there that are trying to reach software developers, you know, staple partners of ours, like Linode, DigitalOcean, Fastly, Rollbar, um, Get Prime, and help me if I'm forgetting some, because I mean, it's not like a long, exhaustive list I'm trying to like thank everybody, but like some really... Strong businesses that want to help brands like ours do what we do, and at the same time reach an audience they couldn't otherwise reach, there's that's something that's something we can latch on onto. Uh, Fastly, I mentioned in, in particular. Hey, if you listen to our show, you might have heard this phrase before. Bandwidth for change laws is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. <laughs> you know, we move fast and fix things here. Change log because of Rollbar. Head to rollbar.com and check them out. And uh, you know was the last one. We're hosted, uh, on, we're hosted on on, yeah. on yeah. Cloud cloud servers. That's right. So I, the I messed up on servers.com slash change. That's, That's right. right. That's right. And so, you know, stole that. I have, that idea from Leo Laporte. I mean, gosh, he, Leo Laporte is an icon in, like the in tech podcasting. Of
2: podcasting, right? Te- tech podcasting, right? Yes. If
0: you listen to their show, you know Netcast you love,
2: uh, Netcast <laughs> you trust from people you love. That's right. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. they just they changed
0: Twitch. to using podcasts now. I think they. Yeah, he was stuck on so, Netcast. They were really stuck. He was stuck. Yeah, he had
2: a chip on his shoulder. Boats. He got over it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then Catfly was it.
0: one of their core partners. I'm like, well, we if. So if I want to build a business around this, we've got to find some. I can even remember talking to you about this. I'm like, do you think we can get somebody to do this and give us money every month? And and like other people that advise us, that's probably not possible. I, good luck. Well, we did it, you know. And uh, we find ways to support our business in, in ways that just I'm astounded, honestly. And uh, we're really fortunate. We've done a great job, you know, forging not just sponsorships like. That's the sort of the industry term that's known. You know, we're interested in sponsorship, whatever, but we look at it more like partnerships. Mm -hmm. You know, we thrive. Our business, even personally, we thrive on relationships, and so we want to work with brands that know who we are, know what we're trying to do, want to support that, but then also get paid a dividend by being able to, in in authentic ways, speak to the global audience we've been able to cultivate over these years, you know, and do that in a way that doesn't objectify our audience or only come in for these reasons. Like there's, it's gotta be more to it than just that, you know, Mm. and we help them speak to software developers in ways that, that, uh, that are relevant.
2: Yeah. I think it's worth pointing out that podcast advertising really works. In ways that other forms of advertising yeah, don't of really work, yeah. and so the medium is, is is suited very well for that style uh, campaign because you are in you're going directly into people's ears, you know, week by week, time by time, and if you can be a staple and supporting a show that people love and are getting for free, and so they, I think, as listeners, I'm a, like I said, I'm an old podcast junkie. I know a lot of the sponsors who are supporting the shows that I love. And I' am fine with transferring a little bit of goodwill to that company. It's like, yeah, Casper supports this show. You know we, a lot of the, the mainstream tech podcasts have very the usual suspects of sponsors, right? Casper, Squarespace, Audible. Like these are brands that have years and years of goodwill because they've been supporting the shows that I love, and because they have uh, their hosts, the people that I love their shows, talking about their brands, it's just a very effective thing. Yeah, and so people—the reason why I think podcasts are uh, such a vibrant ecosystem right now is it's very good for consumers because it's on-demand, niche, like listen to what you want, none of the stuff you don't want. It's really low overhead for consumers compared to radio in terms of ads. Like compare it to the radio ads where they're yelling at you for oh, like gosh. seven minutes of the thirty. Yeah, um, and then on the on the actual sponsorship side, they really work. Like yeah. these sponsorships work. Whereas display yeah. ads and other things just haven't had the ROI. Like the ROI is there for the companies that believe in it.
0: Yeah. We've been able to really help a lot of businesses like that. Like a recent example that I was really stoked about was KubeCon. So the Cloud Inter- Computing Foundation has this conference every, I guess, a couple times a year, sometimes in Europe, sometimes in the United States. And uh, we've been very good friends with the Linux Foundation over the years. And then that also bleeds into the, Cloud Native Computing Foundation and their conference, KubeCon, which we've gone to. We love going there. We're actually going back this year. Gerhard Lazoo is representing us this year, so that's awesome. But uh, we have just ran some promos for them to promote, hey, if you're thinking about attending, use our code, save 10%, get the early bird pricing for extended times, whatever it might be, and you know, join this kind of community and 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 help them share that invitation with the larger community. Yeah. And their feedback to us was like, Your code was the most used over all the people that we used in these promotional ways. And I just love that because for one, everybody attending is to save 10%. But then two, like it's proof that we actually can help uh, willing community people in in the software world to uh, hear something on a podcast and actually take action. And, And it's not like. I'm selling Jared something he doesn't want with money he can't – he doesn't have. Or even something generic. Right. Like
2: if I'm listening to Go Time and I hear an ad for KubeCon, like I'm super interested yeah. in KubeCon. Like, oh, great. It's coming up. It's going to be in Brussels. Or I'm not sure where it yeah. is. But, you know. Amsterdam. 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 I want to go to that. These are not Burger King ads or, or right. Crest. you know right. We've considered the impossible burger ad, though. I'm have, just kidding. Have, have I'm just kidding. we? <laughs> like, no, well, just, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So – it's proven to be a, yeah. a very viable model for, for you know, it's, it really is a win, win, win. To just to use Michael Scott's phrase, <laughs> because the sponsors do win. Our partners win yeah. because of the results like that. We win because we're making a living off of it. And our listeners get free shows consistently, quality content, right? And yeah. they, you know, uh, we put out 60 to 90 minute shows and you're going to listen to two or three ads in a 90 minute show. We're not asking very much. Yeah. And those ads are incredibly pointed and valuable. Like, it's content. It's like, oh, that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm interested in that. So it's not annoying. It's, yeah. it's, so I think yeah. everybody wins. I, I like the model.
1: Yeah, and that's like what they've found with advertising is if it's relevant, then it's less irksome, I right. guess. And in this case with podcasts, podcasts can be hyper-targeted. Like, this is a podcast about open source software. Right. <laughs> I mean, you could never get that level of granularity right. with like, TV.
2: That's right. <laughs> yeah, and that's why luck. some of the larger, more mainstream podcasts struggle with the sales to the sponsors because they don't have the targeted audience. They have huge audiences, but they aren't targeted. So you'll hear a lot of mainstream ones, like even mainstream tech, like The Verge Cast, which is a pretty mainstream tech news and commentary show. They will, he- You'll hear them uh, asking their listeners to take surveys and stuff because they have a more generic mainstream listener base. They don't know exactly who they're talking to. Yeah, right. Well, when you have a show... Called Go Time about the Go programming language and Kubernetes and these things, you know exactly who's listening to that show. Yeah. And so you don't have to survey them. You know, that's the value of yeah. a niche.
1: Yeah. Speaking of Go Time, I think this is a perfect opportunity for me to ask at what point, uh, so you had the changelog. Yeah. That is the granddaddy of uh, open source podcasts. We call it
0: our flagship show.
1: Our right. flagship show. Our flagship show. And now, you have several. You yeah. have several that were shorter period, like Request for commits, which was one of my personal favorites. Yeah, uh, learned a ton from that one. Me too. Um, but
0: how did you go about creating additional shows, and and how do those all work? So we had been working with uh, Brian Kettleson and Eric Saint Martin of of GopherCon. Uh, it was their second year. Actually, I think the reason why we even did the show it begins because Brian Kettleson hopped in our issues. In and GitHub, in our ping, we had a ping repo where we would say, "Hey community, if you have some ideas, suggestions, whatever." We've since moved it to different ways, but we used to have a repo on our GitHub uh, org called Ping. Uh, Brian Kelson reached out to us on our issues there and said, "Hey, if you haven't thought about it yet, you should come to GopherCon. This is our invitation to you." And that's what I love about Brian too is he's like he is like the uh, the Mac Daddy of like. And you get—I'm showing my age here too, because that's—that's that's a, that's a '90s thing. He's the Mac Daddy of like inviting people in, right? Yeah. I love that about Brian and Eric. Uh, and he—he he reached out to us. We had them on the Change Law talking about GopherCon. They invited us up to a conference. We went out there and did some fun stuff. If you go to ChangeLaw.com/films, you'll probably see some cool stuff. We've actually done some video work there with them, and and uh, and whatnot. And so we just sort of fell in love with the Go community. You know, they're. Really, I would say different than other communities because it just they just seem very. It's like once you, I don't really know how to describe it. Maybe you can help me, Jerry. But just very, very protective and very close, tight knit, very tight knit. Yeah. Enthusiastic. Yeah, and it's like once you're in, you're in, and we just loved uh, their, you know, that conference. Uh, everyone who went there, we just loved how people collaborated and mingled together and had fun together. It was just such a fun conference. And I don't know if it was the conference and the community, but we just sort of fell in love with that. And we're like, well, once we, we we always had desires to expand. We're like, well, the next one we do makes sense to be a Go podcast of sorts. But Jared, you came up with a name. So, I mean, take it, take it from there. Yeah. What an amazing name it is too.
2: It's Go time. It's Go time. Yeah. It seems obvious in retrospect. Uh, Naming is one of my favorite things. Uh, naming things is hard, as we all know, as developers. And so I love to do it because I like challenges. And uh, sometimes it takes a thousand bad names for one good one to be born. And we've definitely been through those thousand bad names because we have a portfolio of shows now. Um, In addition to just the Go thing happening, we have, with the changelog, one opportunity a week to, to to, to spotlight something. And we it's very polyglot, as you know as a listener. Yeah. We don't have, I mean, open source is kind of the crux of the matter, but we even go beyond that and, and we've even changed the word to software development in terms of the things that we talk about, because uh, even though open source basically permeates all of software development, it's bigger than just open source even now, just because our interests have grown over the years. That being said, I mean that's fifty weeks a year, you know, that's fifty shows a year if you take a couple of weeks off. And there's so much more things to talk about. There's so much more things to spotlight. And we had a lot of listeners who's like, hey, I love the changelog. I would love to hear more, but more about this topic. Or or more about that topic. Because
0: if we covered Go or a specific language, even for four weeks straight, it'd be like, well, did this turn into a Go podcast? Or are you still sort of multifaceted like like you say you are? And so you have to, there's one way you can diversify. You can either diversify and add more shows to that particular podcast and just diversify... By I guess multiplication, <laughs> just picking some that words here. Divide,
2: divide by multiply. Yeah, yeah. you know yeah. that's so we how we could you'd... ship more shows a week yeah. on the changelog yeah. feed. Yeah. But then we would have to have like series and like people do seasons. There's lots of different ways of slicing it. Uh, but what we thought would be a lot cooler is instead of the two of us doing more shows because you hear our voices all the time anyways, and yeah. we're here to spotlight the guest. Like we want more voices. That's what we've always been about when we have the opportunities, like more voices, more people, different voices than ours. And so let's, you know, ex- let's extend our network and our production skills and our, the tastes that we have and the interest that we have to other people and let's enable them to do shows. And yeah. so that's what really became the portfolio. Now some of us are on, like I'm on JS Party regularly. Adam has a show called Brain Science. That's himself and Muriel Reese. And so it's not like we're not on those shows, but we don't. You know, yeah. it's not like the changelog. They're different shows. They're different people. And we've been able to expand the number of voices on our network to m- much larger than ours. And so that's pretty cool, I think.
1: Yeah. And one thing that I think is really cool is you figured out ways to take that kind of like cool fractal logo and create variations of like radial symmetry. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, each. I mean, I'm wearing the changelog shirt. right go. now. this is my new one. By the way. My old ones right here that uh, I got four years ago. It's been washed about a hundred times. But for everybody who's watching, love it. This is what it looked like. This is and you've even got a framed one over here. Uh, but yeah, Adam sent me this after I was on the changelog log four years ago. That's your old
2: school and, credentials right there. Yeah,
1: that's right. The OG. Yep. OG. Yeah, but the way that you've branded them all, and they've all got really cool, short, punchy names, and uh, and. They have kind of a consistent sound, and a big part of that cohesive, consistent sound is Brake Master Cylinder. Yeah. Can you tell us about Brake Master Cylinder? Not much,
2: because
0: we don't (laughs) know much, honestly.
2: (laughs) The mysterious mysterious Brake Master master
0: master Cylinder. cylinder. Well, you know, it's interesting because I obviously heard of Brake Master Cylinder through uh, Gimlet Media and the work they've done with Reply All and uh, Startup and other shows. So that's where I learned about Brake Master Cylinder. And just one crazy night on the internet, like most things happen, I was like, just figuring out Breakmaster Cylinder, you know, the kind of stuff they're into or whatever. And I, look, I turn up their website and there's like an invite to reach out. And I didn't, I thought it was like typical contact me kind of scenarios where you reach out and they just never talk to you, right? right. There's no response. Well, like the very next day, Breakmaster gets in touch and says, I love what you're doing. Let's work together. I didn't expect that. Uh, that turns us into the scenario where Jared and I are sort of riffing with Breakmaster on some different ideas for brand new music for the Changelog
2: podcast. And
0: I think it was a go it time. It was go at, time RFC.
2: and RFC. Yeah. And the reason why go time was so important. So this was kind of a a milestone for, for me. Or like, okay, we're going to do this for real. Because up until this point. So right. the original Changelog had the California song, which is, has a, a tight story with Adam. Uh, and a band that he knows and all that but then we also just had some like Adam would go out onto I don't know Sound Forest or what are these websites like the the, the sound equivalent of Theme Forest premium beat yeah and just buy something you know and you get it it's a royalty or it's a you pay a license License. fee but it's not an exclusive license and so he would just pick music he likes we put that in front of our shows that would be our theme song it was like that for a very long time and in fact when we expanded from just the changelog Go Time was our second show when we did Go Time Adam found this song that was Sorry. It's all right. Don't worry about it. It was uh, beloved. It was probably on the first—I yeah. don't know—ten to twenty episodes. Yep. Of enough where right, people were like, "Don't change anything." Yeah. So we had some resistance yeah. on that one. But what happened was because it's just a, a sound clip that you can buy a license to, anybody can do that, and oh, it yeah. showed up in a commercial. Who? What commercial was that? Disney. Yeah, Disney. So somebody well, it was tasteful. One of the Go Time listeners <laughs> is like, "Why is the Go Time theme song <laughs> on this Disney commercial?" And we were like, okay, that was what it was like. We have to get our own music.
0: Yeah. It was and it happened with our show or our uh music on The Change Law too. It was a John Deere commercial or a oh, Craftsman yeah. Lawnmower commercial and it was like this grungy rock kind of uh and then also, that that can put people off too if it's too rough. Some people it's over it's, the it's years not really inviting wouldn't be inviting our, with, yeah. with
2: everything. Our changelog theme music. So, what, what was funny about that was It'd become clear we, we weren't unique. And, right. and if we had licensed music, we wouldn't be unique. Right. So, we started working with Breakmaster Cylinder and with the changelog and RFC, which was uh, a great show and it had, I think, to this day, the, the, best. the best theme yeah. music, which we don't use now because that show's retired, but we should somehow remix that. Uh, it was Greenfield. Like, Okay, people knew the changelog song, but we weren't trying to, like, they weren't in love with it. So we could just start new. And with new shows, it's always brand new. Well, with Go Time, the Go Time crew, the listeners, who, we said, is a very tight-knit and enthusiastic and, like, very active audience, they already loved this song. And now we had to replace it with a custom song. And so we asked Breakmaster Cylinder to basically, like, do a different version. Like, make a remix of it. Make it Breakmaster, but make it us. But also make it kind of sound (laughs) like the one that's already out there. Yeah. And uh, some people didn't even notice when we swapped it in, but some people were mad. Some people,
0: yeah. We, we always, when Brakemaster hands us anything to listen to, I'm always like, doesn't have enough BMC in it. Can you do like these glitches? Like BMC is just, Brakemaster's Cylinder is known for certain things. Yeah. And we're like, can you bring in some of these, you know, trademark Breakmaster cylinder stuff? So we, we always love, you know, to speak very well of Breakmaster cylinder, we keep saying this name we don't know guy girl we're not sure if it's one person many people uh we've never met them we don't really have a first name basis at all besides maybe breakmaster that might be first name <laughs> right just cutting off cylinder, cylinder you know uh, but it, they're in our slack so hey if you if you're out there and you're like hey, i want to talk to breakmaster cylinder well go to changeallcom community join that hop in our slack and dm or say hello that's just that easy but I'm always talking to Breakmaster about different stuff we're working on or just catching up. They'll just reach out and say, Hey, how you doing? And we'll have like a 20-minute conversation and like three weeks go by and that happens again or something like that. So Yeah. But so easy to work with. So not even like what I what what often happens with creatives is they're very attached egotistically to what they've done. Like, their creations are often a variation of their identity. With Breakmasters, there's, there's like, zero it, of that. They just throw it out. They're just like, you don't like that? Cool, let's keep riffing, let's keep riffing, let's That's keep great. riffing. And they
1: kind of yeah. uh, professional detachment from yeah. their yeah. artistic work.
0: Always and, willing to, like, Breakmasters, the, one of the scenarios where I can see they always deliver way more than you expect them to. Like, they just want to keep delivering more and more value. That's a... That's a
2: a lesson to be learned. Like yeah. always deliver more value to the people you're working with. And, and if you, you think can't code that, reviews are hard, <laughs> reviewing somebody's music that they're yeah. creating for you yeah. is incredibly difficult. And it's
0: custom and it's, you don't yeah. even know,
2: we, don't, we don't even have the language to describe, you know. And I I'm, I'm expecting from Breakmaster's side similar to a code review or even a feature review with a user. And you can't speak that like, language to yeah, critique when you me. you can't do that. Like you're almost offended by how juvenile that you know, <laughs> the feedback is like Make that's it pop. very yeah. <laughs> exactly so when you're trying to give feedback I can imagine from the other side they're like who are these fools you know like I don't like that hi-hat at 8 seconds you know like whatever like how do you we're always like yeah it's not it's not grooving enough you know make it a little (laughs) more poppy like the stuff you're saying it's very difficult so extreme grace and they're talking in like
0: time code and and uh... And maybe even like majors or minors, right. or and what, we're like take key that, it's that wobble
2: wobble, take that wobble wobble out of there.
0: You know, <laughs> the naming is even cooler too. Like when Breakmaster hands us new stuff to listen to, it's always got these unique names attached to it, and it's like this one with a little bump 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 or something like like the the file the name file literally names. named some really interesting stuff. So it, it's just a a lot of fun working with Breakmaster, and and I'll say, you know, having having done all of our shows, redone the song for the changelog and all that stuff like having only Breakmaster master cylinder stuff it would be a sad day in our history if we never got to have a Breakmaster. and i'm kind of getting a little bit weird about it but like if something ever happened to Breakmaster and we couldn't ever work with them again for whatever reason whether it's they move on or something bad happens who knows i would be really like, it would be a day i mourn like yeah. i love working with them and they produce the best stuff and we wouldn't use any other music besides Breakmaster Cylinder music. That's uh
1: that's a pretty strong endorsement. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Just because yeah. they're just so easy to work with. They get our they get our DNA, they get our branding, they get what we're trying to do. And I, I just feel like they just add this this special flair that like you'd mentioned the artwork. Well, there's a reason why. Because we we sat down in a room for two days basically in a bunker with Jake Stutzman and uh was it the guy's name? Micah. Yeah, Micah. I can't remember his last name, though. Micah Frost or Faust? Something like that. can't recall. But, Micah, you're awesome, too. But we basically sat down and said, hey, who are we? How can we understand uh, what we want to be? And how can we create a brand, both a visual brand and a voice, you know, how we speak brand? And, you know, from that, we got our artwork. We got these concentric circles. We got this framework for developing new album art. And then from that, we also knew, well, if we're this unique here, we have to be this unique in our music too, you know, the ways we audibly present ourselves.
1: Yeah. Well, it shows. And and also the, the, the design of the changelog.com, uh, that everything kind of reinforces that visual design, that visual identity that you all have established for yourself. And now I really want to learn more about the website. Mm. My understanding is it's written in Elixir. It's Mm -hmm. snappy. And (laughs) it, just has really good, clear user experience. Like you know exactly what is going to happen when you click on different things, We're and good. everything's pretty clear. It, for me, it's been a real benchmark. Uh, and, and we've uh, taken a lot of inspiration uh, from it with, with Free Code Camp and, and our, recent, um, our recent efforts at, at redesigning and simplifying and things like that. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Is, who did most of the design? Like, what's the story behind yeah. the platform?
2: So it's uh everything's a team effort, and I think uh, one thing that you might notice through this conversation is that we do sweat the details. We have a few sayings that we use internally. One is uh, "slow down to move faster." Uh, we also say, st- uh, "What's the one?" Stop. S- "Slow." On. <laughs> well, "slow and steady wins the race." Yeah, a lot of stuff about being slow. <laughs> of, yeah. Slow down and check yourself. Slow down and check
0: yourself. <laughs> That's my favorite.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, you because know, we can get uh we can get moving to we can get out over our skis a little bit. Well, yeah. all so, too
0: often in anything, you feel like especially when there's opportunity and you're ambitious, all too often do the opportunities trump your ability to say no. Right. And the next thing you know, you're going in places you don't really want to for other reasons. And it's like if you feel pulled in anything you're doing beyond your capacity, Slow down and check yourself.
2: Right. That's what we said. That's right. So. I had to do
0: the hand like that. It's slow down and check yourself. Slow down and check yourself. Because if you have, you know, some DNA and some guidelines, so if we know that we want to, you know, slow down to move faster or retreat to attack or to slow down or slow and steady wins the race, if we have those as sort of like underlying mantras to ourselves, well, anytime we get pushed beyond those, yeah, slow down and check yourself. Yeah.
2: And it's worth reminding ourselves of these things because we are in an industry that moves so fast. Yeah. And the, the pressure is to, I mean, move fast and break things is the unfortunate, you know, slogan of a major player in our industry, uh, which we don't like that saying yeah. at all. Um, so slow down and, and, and move faster that way. Even when you think about software development practices, right? Like thinking things through up front is slower, but you also move faster in the long run. Setting up that test harness right before you move on to writing the code is slower but you all you move faster in the long run yeah. i mean people who are tdd advocates they will say the same thing like you think through things first and you move a little bit slower and it seems like you're not getting that head of steam but you know 2 weeks from now 2 months from now 2 years from now you're moving a lot faster and so like uh, the brand is an evidence of that it's like we took the time we slowed down spent 2 days in a room and then mo- many more beyond that you know that was like the foundation of like building this system and this design. And then we can extend it over time. We can move faster on new things we have all this stuff in place. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a lot of the website is a result of those initial branding discussions. Uh, A lot of the design is done either by Jake or by Cody Peterson, who is a longtime contributor uh, and really co-laborer with us on the project. He does a lot of our front end, a lot of our design work. And then added on myself, whether it's giving feedback or cranking out the code that renders the pages. So I've done a lot of the actual software work on building the Elixir app, but everything we do is team efforts. Mm-hmm.
0: I think one interesting thing to note is, uh, is the fact that Jared said earlier, I was a Perl guy, then I was a Ruby guy, and so I built the site in Elixir. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this doesn't equate, but maybe you can
2: share why. Yeah, I mean, so I've always, like, I've always been a polyglot. And I like programming languages. I like the Go programming language, even though I don't write it on a daily basis. I liked, uh, I, like, I like a lot of languages. And so I've never found one that didn't have any redeemable qualities. Uh, I even like aspects of PHP, even though it has probably less redeemable qualities in regard to syntax than many others, slight dig. I like PHP too. We talk to a lot of people about programming languages. I mean, that's one of the things about our work is we're exposed to everything. Uh, in fact, I was just thinking about something that came mainstream recently, and I was like, we did a show on that three years ago. Like it's not boasting, but just like reality. Right. like we are uncovering things before they blow up. In fact, we have a changelog nightly, one of our emails that goes out every single night. Its whole point is to it automatically just gets the most starred repos on GitHub before they blow up is the idea or like yeah. right as they are. And maybe those things are going to go on to greatness, maybe they aren't. We'll pick through them and try to find the ones that are inter- interesting interesting. Yeah, But it's an indicator. So we're just, just because of what we do and, and, and uh, our show, we're just at the forefront. And so we talk to a lot of people about programming languages. And uh, some people assume, therefore, we're like deep into these things or we adopt everything. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. like 99% of the stuff, we hang up the call on a Wednesday afternoon. I'm like, Adam, I got to check this thing out because we just spent 90 minutes with a person who's got something cool they created. Yeah. And I'm excited because I get excited about, you know, cool stuff. Uh, Jamstack. I remember, actually, I think that was the one where Jamstack's becoming to be like a mainstream top. You guys rebuilt your yeah. stuff in Jamstack. We did the show on Jamstack. Two years ago, at least. Two and a half years ago. And that's just because I saw the Smashing Magazine. I mean, they were the really the ones that were forefront Pioneers, of that. with yeah. Netlify. We had the Netlify team on. We talked about Jamstack and now it's becoming a thing yeah. that, but then there's other things that we talk about and they don't become a thing. So that's right. just a. A fact of how the industry works point is, is we don't like then adopt all of the stuff that we talk about that would be you know, impossible and ridiculous to do but there are certain things that you know catch your eye and almost nothing do I follow up on because we move on to the next week or the next show and we have other things to do but Elixir actually did catch my eye and I tried it mm-hmm. and I fell in love with it and I wanted to use it um, and so that's why it was written in Elixir and it extends from Ruby like it takes yeah it takes it was, a lot of impression it was created from it. by a prominent member of yeah. the Ruby community yeah. and so it it looks Rubyish when you look at it but the it's more not you Ruby. get into it yeah <laughs> but it's, it's not Ruby it's a it's interesting
1: it's almost kind of like there's this uh, DNA that goes back to Pearl through Ruby and now to Elixir
2: yeah and the thing about the Elixir uh, combination there is it's like a I wouldn't call it a facade but it's more like a carrot on a stick like it's like a It's like something that attracts you and you're like, ooh, this is interesting. And then as you figure it out, you're like, actually, this isn't what I thought it was, but it's still very interesting. It's almost like, I mean, calling it lipstick would be another bad analogy, but there's something to it where the Ruby relationship is there because Jose, who created Elixir, knows Ruby inside out and he knows all the best stuff. And so when you see it, it almost looks like Ruby code. But then when you start to learn it, you realize, oh, this is something completely, entirely different. And yet I feel at home, even though I'm in a completely new paradigm. Which is functional programming. ChangeLog.com, of course, is open source. You've got a whole lot of
1: contributors, not only contributing to that platform itself, but also contributors who are hosting shows. Yeah, who That's are some? Right. Of, who are some of the key people within the
0: ChangeLog? Somebody to name. Somebody to name.
2: So, so many. We've mentioned a few by name. Cody Peterson is a key player on yeah. the website with the brand, with the design work. Jake uh, was crucial to developing the the ChangeLog brand guidelines and the Applemart uh, BMC we talked about in great great depth Gerhard you, you mentioned Gerhard is going to kubecon on our, on our behalf he's been working with us for a couple of years on infrastructure yeah. really helping us uh, roll out since well I guess when we first brought up the site on 2016 on Linode. node yeah exactly so I didn't really understand I didn't really know how to roll out an elixir app uh, in a way that was uh, old school I'm very old school like SSH into the box and like you know run uh, to start Apache or index by hand. And that just uh, isn't really the smart way to do things if you can do them better. So Gerhard has really helped us yeah. pave the way of like ro- doing smart ways of rolling out uh, our infrastructure over the years and uh, is going to be representing us at KubeCon, which is very cool. So thanks to Gerhard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as you said, we have more than just our one show now. So we have a couple of shows, which are panel shows, and we love the variety there. So JS Party, which is all about JavaScript and the web, has nine regular panelists, myself being one of them. Any particular episode has three or four people on it. Sometimes it was a guest, so we just kind of like mix and match, uh, really borrowing from the the Cheers model, as I call it. Mm-hmm. Remember the show Cheers? Yeah. Where you just want to go where everybody knows your name. The idea there is is that you're at a party or you're at a meeting. Go Time's the same way, by the way. Now. Um, You go to a place where you want to hang out with people and it's like, it doesn't have to be the exact same voices every single time, but there's like regulars and there's that familiar voice and uh, it's a place to go where you're going to get variety, but you're also going to get familiarity, just like cheers. And you go to the bar and uh, go back and watch the show. Some episodes are about this person, some are about that person. And so that's really the model that we came up with for JS Party, which is like, they don't have to be the exact same host every single time. But yeah. you should have regulars. And so we have nine people who kind of just like mix and match. And then we invite guests. Uh, we could definitely name each and every one of those. Uh, I'll just go Good ahead. luck. Yes. Okay. I, I don't even know. The, I mean, I know
0: all the names, but yeah, I Sue, don't have them in my mind. Yeah, Sue
2: Hinton, Feroz, Abuka DJ. Good job. Kevin Ball goes by K-Ball. Nick Nisi, who's a fellow Omahaan, uh, is on the Holy show. Hoy. <laughs> hoy. That's his, his uh, tagline. Chris Hiller. Uh, Yep, Christopher Hiller, Bone Skull. He's the the one of the maintainers of the Mocha JS test library. Mm-hmm. Um, Divya Sasadaran. Yep, short Div on Twitter. She's awesome. She's on the show. Have we gotten to nine yet? Myself, Emma Vedicand. Emma Vedicand. Yep, and I think that rounds it out for now. I, I was counting Michael on my Rogers. F- Michael Rogers. Yeah. See, I was counting on my fingers, but I wasn't actually counting. I was just doing the right. visual. Yeah, yeah. And so I lost count. <laughs>
0: Rachel White, who hasn't been back, but she's trying to come back. Yep, Uh, It's been a while she's been on, but I love hearing from her as well. She's got an awesome laugh. I love her laugh. Uh, And so much fun, too. Uh, I'll try go time. Jeez, I'm going to probably stumble on some of these. Matt Ryer, of course. Uh, Love Matt. (laughs) Uh, John Calhoun, Johnny Borsico, Carmen Ando, uh, Ashley McNamara, JBD that's six Mark that's Bates Mark
2: Bates that's the cast that's I think so people. if yeah. I'm
0: if I'm I might I think I, I feel like I'm missing one
2: did you say Johnny I did <laughs> okay we should pull up the website
0: well and obviously the original cast I can't forget those guys right, either. Brian you Kettleson, Carlissia Pinto you got Brian Kettleson you got Eric St. Martin now you know we started that show you know three how many years ago many years ago probably three 2015. years ago, maybe four 2016 we launched that show and, you know, we learned a lot of things from from JS Party, not to sort of explain why the cast is different, but just to sort of, like, evolve that a bit, we learned some things about JS Party and the fact that, like, this whole cheers motto that Jared has just mentioned, but it's, it's really nice to hear more than just a few voices. Um, and then also sort of what I look at is, like, representation of a community, you know, so rather than just, you know, one or two or three people that are always on the show, why not have a rotating cast like we've learned from JS Party, but... But one layer past that is like those are people that are out in that community sort of bringing their perspective to it and then even bringing in content or different topics that the three people or the two people or whatever don't always see. It sort of gives you a a larger, more wider perspective and then also this opportunity of fresh voices, more voices, more representation, and uh, that's why that shows also evolved to sort of like – borrow and learn from a lot of what
2: GS Party's gotten right. It's also worth pointing out as a podcast hack that in addition to all those things that we just described, which are great virtues of that format, is that we want to have great people on all of our shows. And the thing about great people is they're very busy. And so it's very difficult to get the same great people week by week at the same time to show up and do a show prepared and all the things that are required to put together a good show. So we've learned that. Because we started those shows with less, ca- a smaller cast, and so one of the things we adjusted and it's worked out very well is like with three great people, it's hard to get all three of those together all the time, and so scheduling is one of the major challenges of podcasts. Another reason for podca- pod fading with nine people, we, so much easier. We can get three people together out of nine, yeah, and and it's less pressure on us as panelists. And even if they're unprepared or not
0: as well prepared as they'd like to be, it's not especially if you got a lot of gelling or cohesion in the in the. The folks involved, it gets a lot easier to sort of like throw a show together last minute if if it came down to it, right? You know, it's it's just a a lot
2: more flexible too. Yeah, and less pressure on us as individuals. So one of the things about the consistency of a podcast is, let's face it, you're just not excited to do it every single week, or you have a conflict, or that topic is not necessarily something you're into, or that guest is somebody that's rubbed you the wrong way, or what? There's a thousand different reasons. And if you're the only person that does the show, well, you're going to do that show, right? But if you have a cast of nine, you know, uh, somebody could take a month off, and the show goes on. Yeah, and like we want the shows to go on, and so that's one of the reasons. That's the other reason why we've moved to in those particular shows a panel format. Also, just to to spread the
0: burden, because what would happen in that in that case isn't just that they couldn't show up, it's that they would feel guilty for not being able to. Right, right. And then that leads to a, a you know, a spiral of burden, burnout, guilt, all these things that sort of like plague us, this sort of uh, self-voice saying you should do this or you should do that. or You should, you know, all these things that make you feel bad for not doing the things you want to do because you have ambitions or you got a busy schedule or you got a new job or whatever it might be, you um, we like that because somebody could be a panelist on one of our shows and take a quarter break. You know, like they've got a teaching thing or the, a new job spun up, or they've got some travel planned. No big deal. It gets a lot easier to collaborate and work with us because we're flexible. You know, we we're, for lack of a better terms, we say family first is the easy mm-hmm. way to say that. But yeah, and you, you know, and you both have kids. Yeah, and, right.
1: So you can empathize with. Life. Uh, life, absolutely.
0: <laughs> life, period. Yeah, I mean, you got a sick kid, you got vacation, you got whatever, you know, going to see parents, going right. to see family, whatever it might be. We want to bake that in. so Because I think what happens is you start to form relationships that get very rigid and very tested because you just can't measure up every time. You're not excited about the topic. You've got a busy schedule. Whatever it might be, if you bake that flexibility into how things work. Now, that those shows in particular work well. Now, the changelog is Jared and I essentially talking to somebody That's several shows where I can't show up or I'm busier or whatever might be it. Jared takes over no problem or I'll take a show by myself, right. whatever. But it's different for those shows. That's not how we yeah. do those shows. Those shows that are more community-focused shows need that – one, it needs that community representation, but then also that flexibility to enable people to say yes and be a part of it.
2: Yeah, I think there's something important there beyond changelog with regard to sustainability in your work. Because as you can tell, we care about this work a lot, and it's uh, something that started as a hobby and was a passion, and we're still passionate about the things that we're doing. But we do not want to create a thing that then becomes our lives and defines us as humans, and we wouldn't want that for any of our collaborators as well. We live in an industry, and we serve in an industry that deals with burnout all the time. Yeah. in fact. I got sick of talking about, I got burned out on talking about burnout because I just, because all of our guests are people who are in this circumstance and they're all having this same terrible, sort you know, thing happen to them. And, uh, you know, it's a huge topic of conversation on our shows and in our industry in general, because it's a thing that's happening on a way too frequent basis. And we want to be in this for the long haul. We, we can't allow ourselves to burn out by going nonstop. Yeah. You know, that's why it's one of the slowdown to go faster, right? slow and steady wins the weights. We have to remind ourselves that we, it's okay to move a little bit slower because we have these other things. Yeah. And so we try to maintain, even though we have the complete flexibility, flex, flexibility and freedom to work all the hours or do whatever we want is like, let's maintain a consistent schedule and not burden ourselves too much 'Cause that will first of all b- burn us out, but also it's gonna reflect onto the people who collaborate with us. Right. And they're not full timers, right? They're they have jobs, they have open source projects, they're coming on our shows because this is something they want to do. Yeah. But you know that that can create, like Adam said, the guilt and the shame. The, the shame yeah. and like we don't want we don't wanna be have anything yeah. to do with that stuff. So So
1: essentially through having just like a really like a lot of redundancy is the word I'm I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Like you have a lot of people who can step in if somebody doesn't feel up for it or if somebody needs to take a break just by, it's almost kind of like a, a big distributed system in a way. <laughs> it kind of uh, is. Yeah. And, you, you've got like a pub sub system where right. you publish and some people sub to that. Like they're like, all right, I'll take this
2: gig here. Um, right. Offing on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, for instance, KubeCon. We would would love to be at KubeCon. The timing doesn't make as much sense. Uh, Adam's having a baby. I've traveled a lot this year. One of the things we do is, we'll we'll talk about conferences. We limit our travel because that's another aspect. Like, we love to go to conferences and be in the community. Love it a lot. But we limit that ourselves because, well, every time we go to a conference, we're leaving our family. Right. Okay, so that's a circumstance where, like, we want to personally be at KubeCon. But that's not going to work out. And so we have Gerhard, who's over in London, doesn't get to come to the States as often. It's going to be in San Diego. He'd love to have a trip to San Diego. And he's going to be there. And, and so that's a situation where it's like, okay, yeah. that makes sense. And we've just kind of slowly, you know, built these relationships with folks where uh, it's a win, win, win. Win, 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 win. <laughs> but What's also cool, too, specifically with Gerhard, is
0: that it gives us a chance to, to sort of like invite him in further to the fold like he's already worked with us and done tons of amazing things for us to help us with our infrastructure. But from a content perspective, we've had him on the show. We've talked about change logs infrastructure, but nothing specific to like giving him more opportunity, so to speak. And so this was a chance for us to say, Hey, we can't make it there. And rather than being like, Oh, we just won't go or, you know, or us stretching our limits and going and burning and trying to go, we've like, well, who would be better to go for us? And, and also have other wins or win-win wins <laughs> behind, uh, behind the thing. So, I mean, I love the fact that, one, Gerhard's ready to go and he's excited because I see him behind the scenes and the emails and stuff like that planning his trip. And he's fired up, mm. right? And so a year from now, we may have a whole new thing we're talking about because of these, you know, just like with the drill sergeant, this invitation to come in. Gerhardt's already a leader in other ways. So it's not we're inviting yeah. him to leadership. It's, right. it's the invitation into into the family deeper, yeah, you know, more more things. And we absolutely. think of it like a family, really. Yeah. I do. And I know Jared as well.
1: Yeah, that's great to give people opportunities to uh, just take on more and more responsibilities and also just to travel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And
0: and truth be told, he'll speak much better about Kubernetes than I will. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. Just so like, on the topic of conference, just real quick, you
1: all do go to a lot of conferences. Yeah. And, and I'm glad to hear that you have... Uh, recognize that you don't want to go to all the conferences right. because well, we want to go to, to all. all, but we don't want to go. Yeah, all. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. and the uh, same thing with me. Like, I just uh, need to spend time with my family too, and and the travel time, and, and especially depending on where you're going, the jet lag yep. has consequences as well. So, what are some conferences that you all try to make it to regularly, or what would you say? Yeah, that's, that's the first question. I'll ask you another question about conferences sure. in
2: a second. So I would preface by saying that our circumstances are unique, similar to education where each person's different. So when it comes time to like pick a conference, go to a conference, you have to ask yourself, what are you trying to get out of the conference? Like, what are your goals? And that will inform which ones are a good fit because there's so many shapes and sizes. For us, it, I line it up with the changelog, the show, which is broad and polyglot and open source focused and community focused. And so we try to find... Conferences that are along those lines. Also, because we only get to go to a couple a year, you know, we kind of say like maybe four a year. Once a quarter makes sense. But we don't always hit that. Fall time seems to be like there's lots of conferences in the yeah. fall, so we tend to go a little bit more. Then is that we tend to go a little bit bigger conferences because we want to meet more people, right? We want to see more listeners or meet people that could become listeners. And so uh, staples for us, I mean, the, the staple for us has been OZCON. Yeah, yeah. So we've gone That's to big o- one, right? O'Reilly's OZCON the last four years straight. I think maybe three. Yeah, yeah. Since twenty sixteen, every year. Yeah. So OzCon's the big one. Um, it's always a blast. KubeCon. KubeCon. We've been. There. This will be our third year back. And then um, GopherCon. GopherCon and all. All things, Th- open. All things open. And and OSCON and All Things Open have a lot of, in common. I would say. Yeah. Go, GopherCon obviously a language oriented conference, so yeah. it's different than the other ones. Yeah. And then KubeCon is obviously Kubernetes and all the cloud native which is a big thing. Yeah. But it's not as like cross-sweeping as 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 the open source focused one. So those are the ones that we always try to get to. Um Node Interactive too. We've we've I went to that one one
0: time. ball went there last year and I think Nick's going there this year. So we this is our third time going to It's changed too the name of it. So it, I think this year's iteration is just Node I don't know if it's Node Interactive or not, but it's always been just Node as Known as Node Interactive. Awesome. And and my other question regarding conferences would be, what would be your advice to somebody
1: out there who's listening who has been a developer or is getting into software development? Because you all know a lot about different conferences out there. Yeah. What would be a good first conference and what would your advice be to them if they wanted to attend one of those conferences? Mm,
2: So. First, I will, small plug, we have an entire episode of JS party called The Conference Scene, mm. in which we, we do an hour, or four of us, about this specific topic. So go listen to that if you want the long-winded version. Sure, Short, I can link to that. Yeah, Cool. So short-winded, my advice would be pick something a small, single track. The cool thing about single track is that you don't have any decisions to make because the less you know, the harder it is to make decisions. What do I want to go, you know? And there's the FOMO of like there's... Three tracks, which I might miss the good thing. Single track has a shared experience. Everybody saw the exact same thing. And so it's a much easier to make conversation Yeah, because you saw the exact same talk that person did. And you don't have to say, hey, did you hear what Chris Coyer said? And they're like, no, I was in the other track. Oh, okay. So you'll, we can't be friends. Right. So oh, awkward. <laughs> yeah. So single track is great for people just getting in like for your first conference. Smaller size is great because it's just less intimidating, more one-on-one opportunities. Um, So, you know, 200 people, two to 500 versus like a 5,000 person convention. 200 is really tight. 500 is a little bit more loose, but still small enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, other aspects is like regional is fun because you don't have to travel as far. So like it's less of a, the worst thing is like, well, I spent a bunch of money. I took three days off of work. And I traveled across the country and I didn't have a good time, right? Yeah. It's a little bit less risk if it's like, well, I drove an hour and attended yeah. one. So I, there's a community aspect to the local conferences. If you have a language you like, like if you're in JavaScript, then you're, you're going to find a JavaScript conference in your local region. That's a great option. Um, that would be my advice. Mine is very similar. Small conferences are cool, especially
0: start. I got fond memories of actually. Uh, Future of Web Apps, also known as FOA, Uh, 2010. uh, Man, met some awesome people Alan Branch, Stephen Bristol, and several other people. And like they've, they were quintessential friends, very influential. I've gotten some of the best advice in my life from Stephen Bristol just because we literally met at a conference because we had a podcast called The Web 2.0 Show and they wanted to meet this podcast these two dudes behind this show that didn't have a gigantic audience, but just enough, just enough is all it took. And they became great friends. And for a while there, I was going to smaller conferences like that, like Lone Star Ruby conference, a couple different, uh, JavaScript conferences. I think JS, Texas JS or something T- like T- that. TXJS. Was TXJS. Yeah, Texas yeah. Was, uh, was started here somebody else, uh, on, on JS party. Started Texas JS. Yeah. Uh, Alex Sexton maybe. Yeah. Alex Sexton. Um, that's one more name for you. <laughs> just see, just I'm trying to remember all the Round yeah. back. But the point is, is just that I met some amazing friends. So, like, it, maybe I was fortunate that, you know, just that conference, I got to meet people at the same conference. I also got to meet Gary Vaynerchuk and Kevin Rose. We had a podcast about uh, with them uh, at that cool. conference. I happened to have lost my voice at that conference, so I sounded like DMX. <laughs> Uh, and Kevin cool. said so, which was pretty cool too. But <laughs> Kevin Rose, Gary Vaynerchuk, and a bunch of other fun people. We've Kathy Sierra, who's like a uh, an icon in user experience, oh, yeah. and just awesome. I mean, just amazing. So I mean, some really cool people over the years. That uh, you know, it was a smaller conference, maybe 500 people, but you know, I got to meet some really, really good friends yeah. personally. So that's that's my
2: personal experience from it. One piece of advice before we move on, those are advice on like which conferences to go to. But when you're at the conference, so nothing noteworthy ever happened when you stayed inside your comfort zone, right? You're not gonna come back home and tell your significant other or your friends some great story because you went to a conference and you attended some talks and you didn't talk to anybody and then you went to the hotel and then you flew home or whatever the logistics were, right? Logistics aren't interesting. You have to actually push yourself outside of your comfort zone and it's not gonna feel good because that's what comfort zone means, right? But this is your opportunity to meet, you know, people face to face in the flesh, whether it's somebody you look up to or yeah. somebody who is sitting by themselves and needs someone to talk to. Like if you're going to go to the conference, like we can get virtual conversations all day long. We get them and they aren't always that great as is evidenced by the conversations that we have online. But in conferences, face-to-face, you can have amazing conversations with amazing people, but not if you just go and you're a wallflower. Yeah. And so if you're going to go and you're going to put in the effort and the money and all these things, you have to push yourself outside your comfort zone. Otherwise, you're not going to get out of it what you can.
0: Yeah. I got one more uh, extra on top of that. Not just that, but we learned from Eric Holscher this thing called the Pac-Man rule. All right. So all right. if you're- You know at- this one?
1: I've never heard of this. No. Okay. I'll,
0: I'll give you the short version. There's a whole podcast about it. We'll point back to – we'll add more links to the show notes. But uh, Eric Holscher was a big fan of in, inviting people and including people. And if, you're, if you can imagine uh, being at an after party or, some, or in the hallway track, whatever it might be, and you got a circle of people and there's no openings, you don't feel invited to come in, right? You don't get in, invited to come into that space. So if you leave that wedge there, that Pac-Man shape, well, there's room for one or yeah. two more. And as they, and the circle just get bigger and bigger, but you always have that gap in there to invite people in. So he gave uh, talks about it. He wrote a blog post about it. We had a podcast about the talks and the blogs and just, you know, inception over. <laughs> now overload. you're but, a podcast about the podcast. That's right. About the podcast. That's right. <laughs> but the point is, is like, you know, if you're at a conference describing Jared's scenarios, one more layer to that is like always leave space to invite one more into the
2: crowd. Right. If you're standing in a circle, look around yeah. and see if you can make more of a Pac-Man shape because that invites one more person in. Yeah, so that's a great tip.
0: Yeah, and I've heard like kind of
1: keeping your body language open, where you keep your feet out, yeah, uh, point, your toes pointed out. Um, that that also makes people feel more welcome. And
2: also just and, saying hi. Yeah. <laughs> hey, cool. how are you? That's a good tip.
1: Yeah, looking at people, keeping eye contact with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, these are, they seem like obvious things, but they aren't easy. And we've all yeah. been in the awkward circumstance where like you're approaching a circle and there's no gap there. And you're like, do I, what, you know, do I just hang out while, until they let me ease in? Right. I, yeah, there's yeah. all these
0: awkwardnesses. I mean, about it's already that. hard enough
2: to get outside yeah. your comfort zone and like uh, approach somebody who may yeah. reject you or whatever the fears are, but when there's no like openness from The group, yeah. it's even harder, anyways. We're rambling yeah. on. I mean, now.
1: it takes me, it took me years to get comfortable just approaching developers at a developer conference. <sighs> oh, yeah. uh, and uh, now when I go yeah. to some non developer thing where you know nobody knows anything about me or and I'm just like some interloper, right? Then I have to reapply all those strategies again to like break into circles and talk to people. Yeah, you know? so it's yeah.
2: hard every time, yeah, you know, it gets easier, but it's never easy. Yeah,
1: it's good practice though, yeah, for sure.
0: We're also in. In many cases, di- distributed environments or very virtual environments, so the awkwardness is going to be there. It's going to be there. So, I guess just own it, <laughs>
2: embrace it, embrace
1: it. Yeah. Speaking about speaking of embracing things, uh, you know, you all have embraced a lot of change. It's right there at the beginning of the changelog. Yeah, that's right. That's Name, true. and you're heading into a new decade, a new era of the changelog. And, uh, you know, it looks like the field is very open and you've got a lot of possible things you could do with the next 10 years. Mm. Uh, What are some wild ambitions or areas that you want to explore or charts, you know, courses that you've already charted that you're planning to head in that you can share with us?
0: I'm usually more visionary and have like some sort of cast, but I feel like We're doing what we need to be doing right now. And for me, that's okay, because I think we do a lot. And, you know, I've got a growing family. And so personally right now, I feel like I'm a little short-sighted on my vision. I like what we're doing. I think there's a lot of things we can improve on. Uh, We mentioned the fact that our code base is open source. Uh, Every year we like to participate in Hacktoberfest. We like to invite people in to contribute. Uh, There's always room for more shows, but we're also not trying to grow our podcast count tremendously i think over the next several years we might grow by one maybe two shows a year or basically as topics or interests you know kind of come to come to fruition i would like to to maybe do a bit more on the membership side That's you know and say. invite people in in that way because there's so many people that reach out and say how can we help you how can we support you and in all honesty the best thing we can say right now is like if you make lists of podcasts, if you're on Twitter, if you tell somebody about your favorite things and we're one of those things, that's the best way. But for some people, that's not enough, right? They, they actually want, for some reason, to give you money or some sort of exchange of value. And I think we got to just find, find out, if it's not just money or some other ways, we got to find some way to exchange value with our listeners beyond us freely giving our podcast yeah. to the world. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something where they can come in and do something of value, whether it's monetary, whether it's contribution to the code base, whether it's something involving in the community. Uh, a lot of opportunity is also on the written side. We'd love to find more people to share their big ideas uh, through our platform. So there's a lot of things, I think, in that area that would make sense to to, to expand more. Growing by more podcast isn't that interesting to me right this very moment. It's already
2: hard. Yeah. yeah. So. I think we have a good portfolio. I'm proud of it. I think we serve a lot of niches. I wouldn't say that we are comprehensive like every developer niche. There are there are a couple of holes. If I if you if you if you pin me down, I could name a couple of holes in our lineup. But um, I think revisiting memberships at this point makes sense because of the kind of the sea change and the attitude towards memberships. And I think we can provide unique value to a paid membership that we didn't provide back then. I think there are people who would love to support us in that way, especially if they get some add-ons and some maybe like an ad-free option or something like that, uh, create your own feed. Like these kind of ideas are things that we're tinkering with where we could revisit that and really serve more directly. I mean, I love the idea of like just directly serving your audience, you know, every single time, like the purity purity Mm -hmm. of that. I don't Mm -hmm. think we would ditch our current model because this model works and it's sustainable. We've proven that out, but we could augment and provide options. Uh, so that's something that, that we're interested in. I think personally I agree with Adam that I'm not like super stoked to add a bunch of new podcasts. Um, maybe just focus on growing vertically versus yeah. horizontally at this point. I, In terms of my own interest, I would love to do more writing. Um, I've just in the last uh, six months or so, maybe even less, been able to finally become full time on ChangeLog and slowly wind down my consulting uh, company which was a long burn but we're like basically down there at that point so i can concentrate fully on changelog i have lots of things to say and and to write i just don't have often the time to write them and so i'd love to be able to execute on more of those opportunities and uh use use our writing as a way to uh really augment the shows and like bring people back to the shows
0: so yeah let me let me say this too real quick because you mentioned earlier with when Jared came on to the team, you know, while you were speaking, one thing I was thinking to de- a, an adjective to describe Jared would be instrumental, right? Like if it weren't for, we didn't even talk about me going full time ever in this co- in this conversation, which is, it doesn't need to go that far. But the point was, was that Jared was a source of encouragement for me. He was like, I was working at Pure Charity. Mm-hmm. And so just a quick version of the story, and this is basically me giving Jared a long thank you, is that... uh and appreciation too, because he's an amazing partner and I couldn't do this alone. That This would not be what it is if it was Adam Solo. Uh, it just wouldn't. Uh, and I'm so thankful for Jared. But ages ago, he was like, dude, we can do this. You could do this, you could do this, whatever. I, I forget the exact wording, but <laughs> but I, I'm, I've always been an entrepreneur, but I wasn't like, yeah, I want to quit my job. That's cushy. Cause I was working for a nonprofit. It was amazing work. I love yeah. what we we're doing. I love the team we were building. I love what I was building. I love what I was doing. I And then one day, I just love this a little bit more. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And then for me, a silent partner for me, at least, not a contributor to a show, but a huge contributor to my life is my wife. If it weren't for her, if it weren't for Jared encouraging me and saying, you should do this, we can do this, and for my wife to agree uh, and believe in me,
2: I wouldn't have done it, honestly. So thank you, bro. Oh, you're welcome, and I'm glad that you made that leap because you know a few years later, it's allowing me to make that leap. I was already out there on my own at that point, and so there was like I didn't have the the. I mean, we all know that resistance, yeah. Of like, when are you are you going to, or do I, or don't I, or when do I? And so I already had the confidence. I was like, you know, I'm out here swimming in the water, and everything's fine. You know, the water's warm out here. Yeah. That's kind of stuff I'd yeah, say to him. yeah. And, and I was
0: it, in that water, and I was like, I like that water too. But now I've got. This warm water, and I just was less, also, you know, newly married, so it was just like timing, but uh, I I still have mad respect for Pure Charity, the team that runs that. I mean, I still consider them all friends. They do amazing things. As a matter of fact, a community member, uh, Beverly Nelson, she's done some stuff with it. It's been a while. She's been really busy, but she is CTO, CTO at Pure Charity. She began... I don't want to say just as a developer in a negative way, but she kind of came in when we had a a budding team. She came in, was very instrumental. And I don't think then, you know, she would have believed that she would have been CTO at some point. Now she's CTO of Pure Charity. That's awesome. Yeah. And we love Beverly. She's amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, it sounds like you all have a lot of people who have been on the periphery or directly involved with the changelog over the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I want to wish you all... Fun, prosperous next 10 years to the life of the Chinese log. I'm going to be listening. Uh, I know that a lot of the people in the Freeco Camp community learn about open source and learn about software development in general and, and get introduced to a lot of the people whom you've interviewed. Uh, you know, DHH, uh, you had Yehuda Katz on a while back, mm-hmm. just a ton of really like developers, developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're able to. Uh, get a lot of exposure to those people and a lot of inspiration for those people. So I just want to thank you again for everything you're doing for the community and, you know, long live the change log, 10 more years of awesome learning. That's right. Well, Quincy,
0: you've always been a, a staple for us too. You've always encouraged us and congratulated us along, along the way too. We're obviously huge fans of free code camp. We can't say it enough. And you know, just thank you for, Caring enough about us for one to drive from your place to my place here in Houston, we are in, for lack of better terms, Adam's studio. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, so he came here. We flew Jared in what for a day trip. What better trip
2: I mean, this is your studio. That's right. Yeah. That's right.
0: Well, <laughs> well, I almost called it like you know, change log HQ, but it's not. <laughs> we don't have an HQ. We're gonna mean, shoot it looks, a team. Looks like a lot more like
1: an HQ than my uh, closet.
0: does <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you know, we we really appreciate you know the time that you've put into this too, the research and just sharing your community with ours. Honestly, Mm -hmm. we really, really appreciate that. We can't thank you enough. All right. Well, Hey, Adam, Jared, it's been an
1: absolute blast. Everyone uh, still with us. Thank you again for listening to the free code camp podcast. Be sure to check the show notes where we'll have links to a lot of the different episodes of the changelog that we mentioned here and, and some of the articles as well. Um, Also, if you're not subscribed to the changelog, be sure to subscribe to it. The Free Code Camp podcast will come back in early 2020. Uh, We're just, as I said, doing a lot of other things. But in the meantime, if you can just tell your friends about the changelog, tell your friends about Free Code Camp, that would mean the world to us. Have a fun day and happy coding.